this night, we do what we want. We make our own rules. This is our night. This is our show. On this night, we rise. This is the bleeding edge of science, technology, and ethics. This is... Pollution. Unwilling to submit. We learn all that is learnable. Tonight, power shifts. Tonight, we raise our instruments of anarchy. Peaceful coexistence, encryption, software, secure devices, and our minds. Tonight, we are unbound by law. It's time for Sovereign Tech. And now your host, the golden stallion of the tech world, the rated R radio star, Brian Sovereign. Like Elvis Presley said, if you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. Woo! Because the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the man that some call the most interesting anarchist in the world today, is ready to go for some more Sovereign Tech and is one of the best troublemakers around. Woo! It's time for some of that Sovereign Tech, baby. So go ahead. Lay back. Relax. I know you just got out of the shower. Don't bother putting the pants back on because, oh, ho, 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 do we have a lot to cover and it's going to get hot in here. Woo. Who's that, Nelly? I say, right, something like that. Oh, man, we've got a ton to cover this week. I've got something really special that I'm going to be getting in, uh, into something that, and I'm actually going to be shaking things up, okay, because normally I do... Uh, first choice in the segment, second segment of the show. Uh, I will not be doing it that way this week. It's going to be in the first segment because I've got a first choice. First choice, of course, is where people can email, you know, all the listeners and <laughs> the thousands and thousands can email me. And you do. <laughs> Ooh, I can't keep track. Can email me and say what they want me to talk about for that one segment. Well, I've got so many emails this week. Uh, well, the past couple weeks, really, and I've just been kind of gracious and waiting for it uh, about this topic that we're going to get into at the, at the head of the show once we get past the random access. Oh, man, the baddest boy in the blockchain is coming out one more time again. Everybody talk about last week when we talked about Monero. We talked about a lot of great projects that are coming and then a lot of terrible projects that were coming. People really enjoyed the shit out of that. Thank you very much for being here. Woo. This week will be no different. And we, we've got something, man, it, it, well, I won't spoil it yet, but believe me, you're going to be at the end of this. You're going to know you're going to be able to answer that age old question of what is cause in all this. Right. Woo. All right. So let's get into let's get into the random access here, uh, because uh, just a, a ton to cover and actually a couple of very interesting uh, topics that I want to get into with. Uh, some of the news that's come out this week in the random access. Uh, and I want to make sure we have tons of time to cover our, what is effectively now our main story, even though it's, it's user submitted. Um, but let's break into it. I'll start off with, you know, I really didn't get to cover a couple weeks ago, everything that came out of IFA. I had a laundry list 
uh, of different things that um, that that had been really, I mean, announced, uh, not necessarily released. Uh, of course, we talked about the amazing Lenovo Yoga Book, which is just a game-changing computer uh, in every sense of the word. It is really an exciting uh, product, and I know, uh, well, not today, maybe in a couple days, I think the pre-orders open up for that, and they'll probably start getting released in October. Uh, that that's That's really something. But anyway, talk about something that... I don't really think is game changing that I, it's not a direction I want things to go in, but it is something that's coming. And I think that it, it really shines a light perhaps on what Apple is thinking with the removal of the, the headphone jack in the iPhone seven. But this is coming from, you know, a company that actually does do a degree of innovation as to where Apple does not. Uh, and that is, uh, Sony's Xperia line and their, their newest innovation. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly a new idea, uh, but they are sort of first to market, I think, with, with this, at least in, in consumer mainstream, uh, that being the Xperia Ear. And that does exactly what it sounds like. It is a device that you put into your, you know, that you put into your ear, almost like a hearing aid. And this, the Xperia Ear, which I think we might have mentioned it before because they talked about, I mean, something that's been happening in the smartphone space for probably the past year now is having modular phones. Not like the, the thing that, that everybody wanted, that, that uh, AlphaGoog, you know, of course, Alphabet slash Google uh, ended, which was Project Ara, um, but modular to where there's add-ons to, to, you know, to a phone and everything. And so one of the modular things for the, uh, for the Xperia line of smartphones that Sony uh, you know, keeps releasing. And, you know, to, to Sony's credit, like they really open up the firmware uh, driver, you know, all, all this, they have what's called like the open, uh, the open device project or whatever. So they're really good about open sourcing everything. And so, you know, Sony devices are honestly, for that reason alone, I've, I've always at the dark Android project at DarkAndroid.info, I've always recommended Sony devices because they do open their stuff up very nicely. Um, but anyway, the Xperia ear, is effectively an attempt, a first attempt, really, at hearables, which is this line, not wearables, but hearables. And a lot of people think that this is going to be the future, uh, that, you know, forget about the smartwatch. You're going to want to skip all of that and go right to hearables to where you are interacting, uh, you know, say with a with some kind of voice assistant like Alexa, Cortana, hey, Google, uh, you know, Google now um, or, or even Siri, where you're interacting with it through your ear. Um. I get it, you know, and, and, and that's and really the, the Xperia ear is not a phone in and of itself. It's something that uh, that that connects to, you know, to a smartphone that tethers to a smartphone, which is where I don't get excited about these things. Like, I, I love the idea of the smartwatch, but I don't love the idea of a smartwatch where I still need a phone. Get rid of the phone for me. Just give me the smartwatch. You know, give me the Dick Tracy dream. OK, Uh so, but with, I mean, maybe hearables could get to that point too. And in fact, maybe all of this, maybe all of this stuff might shine a light, these new directions in how to communicate and interact with, you know, the World Wide web and, you know, the internet in general, blah, blah. Uh, maybe a lot of this points at why phone companies are getting used to thinner and thinner and thinner is that they want you to get used to your, the, the device that you interact with to effectively disappear at some point. And maybe the thinner is about, you know, incentivizing a lot of these manufacturing companies, say like Qualcomm and, so, you know, some of these other ones, you know, that develop the chipsets and, and other things. Uh, you know, maybe it's to incentivize them to make smaller and smaller and smaller. That way, you know, you can get to the point where like you could have a GPS device and a whole bunch of other things inside of your ear. 
I could believe that, 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 that might be the push. That's my theory on it. I mentioned, I think last week or the week before when we were talking about that, why, or yeah, it was last week when we were talking about the iPhone. Why is everybody going thinner, thinner, thinner when all people want is battery, battery, battery? Uh, you know, they wouldn't mind if it still was the size of an iPhone 4. I, this is my theory as to why that's actually happening is because they want stuff to be more compact, more compact, more compact so that you can do things like Sony's Xperia ear, or at least so Apple could do that sort of thing. Uh, or even the smartwatch could be, you know, a little more viable and you could have it in a small enough size, uh, you know, to where it would work in a conventional women's watch. I don't care what size watch, you know, women wear. It's up to them. Um, I'm just saying that there is a conventional idea of what what those look like and they want perhaps for it to fit in something that size uh I mean, that, that's that's my best guess on all that. But the Xperia ear is, I mean, it's it doesn't excite me at all. I don't like the, the hearable. I, I don't like the idea of zero UI. Uh, again, I call that uh, I call it hands uh, like hand, handless UI, which I call hooey as in it's a bunch of hooey H-U-I. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not game for that. The smartwatch. I like that. I like still having some kind of screen and buttons where you can interact to some degree and, you know, maybe there's some kind of off button, but I, I could, I could see to the point to where, you know, with the hearable, you just put it in your ear, you know, set and forget. And I'm, that's just taking it like way too far. And yes, believe me, I am one of those guys that wants hardware switches on their laptops. I mean, I want them everywhere. <laughs> All right. I miss the good old fashioned. You know, I remember my, oh man, the first computer that I was really involved in making, and this is when I was, you know, pretty much a preteen, uh, or very, hell, I, maybe I was like nine. Not a, <laughs> no, I kind of had to be older than nine. Anyway, it was a 386 SX. I don't remember exactly how old I was when I got it. But my first 386 SX, I remember the case, the case had this gigantic red flip, you know, switch on, you know, towards the back on the right hand side of it, that when you flicked it, when you turn that computer on clunk, when you turned it off clunk, I mean, it's just a massive fucking switch. I love that. I want switches. I want control. I want to know when it's off. It ain't sleeping. Okay. I'm not waiting a few seconds uh, by holding down the button for it to turn off. I want it to turn the fuck off, you know, like instantaneously. Uh, and, and actually, well, people in the crypto space could appreciate why, why you want that. But anyway, um, the Xperia ear, you know, the hearables, I mean, it, it's, it's a first start. So I just want you to know that it's, that it's out there. Um, I really, again, I do not like the idea of zero UI. I, I am not on board with that at all. Uh, and there's other terms for it. Zero UI can mean a bunch of different things to where everything is just being powered algorithmically, which really that still applies to, to hearables and the Xperia ear. But, uh, right now it's a tethered device. So whatever, if you like that sort of thing, you know, go for it. Uh, Last week, I talked about the show Startup, um, which is uh, it was on, it's on Crackle, the Crackle Network, and it is a show about a cryptocurrency. Uh, it is about GenCoin. That uh, it's a fictional cryptocurrency, and of course, all the events in the show pretty much are you know based around fiction. It takes place in Miami, so you kind of have this like you know Cubans versus the Russians versus the Haitians sort of mafioso kind of war uh, going on, and it takes place in the present day. Of course, uh, it is a world where Bitcoin exists as well, so GenCoin is literally an altcoin in the whole thing. Um, the whole series finally came out. Last week, I you know they had only released the first episode by that point, but now the whole thing's out there. It's like ten episodes or so. Um, the, and I, I'm just going to give you a quick review here. Okay. On, on the whole thing. I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to give away any spoilers. I'm just going to tell you what I thought was, was lacking, uh, or what was good. Now it's great drama. The characters, they did a pretty good job at the characters. The drama, you know, was intense. A lot of the storylines are very interesting, but my whole take on the thing was that 
it's really stories that have been told over and over again, especially in television uh, over and over again. Like there's there's really nothing new here and there's a tech angle to it. Uh, you know, and there's like the, you know, the cryptocurrency angle to it, but I think they're, they're just doing that to like try and and grab eyes and grab attention. It's not actually a show that takes advantage, at least not yet, at least not in the first season. And I do hope we get a second season, uh, cause maybe they'll go deeper into, into the tech angle of it. Um, but the, you know, it, they just, they didn't pay attention to the technology. Like, like it was just a side story. And that's what I said last week. I was like, you know, I bet what's going to happen is, is you're going to find out it's just like any other drama. Okay, and it does that very well, being just like any other drama, and and the acting's fine. You know, there's nothing technically wrong with the show. It's just it's a storyline you've seen a million times, just this time wrapped around kind of a cryptocurrency. But you never really learn a whole lot about the cryptocurrency. This is the problem. This is what I said would happen: is that the, you know the tech is really just like you know it's just bait on, on the end of the hook, and you really get you know there's no juice worth the sque- you know the juice isn't worth the squeeze as far as the tech angle of the show goes. Uh, so I was really disappointed with that. The sex in it, there was there was plenty of sex in every episode. So I'll give them credit for that. They did not. Usually what happens with these shows is they'll have sex in the first couple episodes and then then they'll wean you off of it. That didn't happen. There was sex all the way you know right into the, the last episode of the season. Uh, so credit to them for that. But I mean, it's and you know, Mr. Robot, same deal. And Mr. Robot didn't even really have this. Not really. Didn't really have the sex. Uh, Mr. Robot, same problem. Like, although I, I definitely think you know, that that um, uh, startup is leaps and bounds better than than Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot's a terrible show. All right. Correction. Mr. Robot. And I already reviewed this on the show, you know, a year ago. OK, but Mr. Robot was good for five, the first five episodes of the first season. And then it just went off the rails and it just went nuts and it turned in, you know, this drug addled, whatever. And it's fine. People do drugs. Hey, please go ahead. I don't, I don't care. Okay. (laughs) It's just not my bag. And especially I don't need hackers every time they're represented on, you know, on the fucking screen that they're always somebody, you know, hitting up morphine or, or, I don't know, doing whatever they're doing. Okay. I I really get fucking sick of that. You know, that, that this, this real, you know, stereotyping uh, that the hackers are just some weirdos when no, they're, Often they're very normal people. What whatever normal means, I know that that's that's a loaded term. Uh, but anyway, so it's better than than Mr. Robot because Mr. Robot same deal to where like okay yeah there's a tech angle oh look at this there look he's breaking into the phone using you know Super SU and all this stuff isn't this amazing blah 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 and and then you know eventually like the actual the reality of of how they're doing things and showing people how to do things just kind of goes by the wayside the tech is is like you know takes a back seat to the very strange and fucked up exploration of a very fucked up human being uh, that that I just don't. I don't need if I want to watch fucked up human beings, I'll open my front fucking door and just watch the people walk by. I don't need my entertainment for that. I really don't. Okay, give me something more. You know, and and like I said last week, tech can run alongside uh you know, a a story. I mean, tech can be a character of the story. We you know, I bring up Star Trek all the time to where the Enterprise is as much a character as Captain Kirk or Captain Picard, you know, or or any of that. And that's what I want out of these shows. If you're going to sell me on, hey, you know, tech enthusiasts, hey, hackers, blah, blah, blah. This one's for you, baby. Well, make it for me and make the tech as much a part of the uh, of the character's life in the in, you know, in the story as it is in mine. Not saying that, you know, not confirming or denying or anything, saying that I'm a hacker, but I'm, I'm just saying, OK, 
So yeah, startup, it's good. It's just, you know, hopefully in the second season, if we get a second season, they'll actually talk more about, uh, you know, the, the cryptocurrency gen coin. Cause right now, I mean, it's honestly, it's fucking, it's fucking meaningless. Like in so many projects to where, you know, it's actually, it's a beautiful (laughs) and it it plays well into what we're going to talk about in this show. And, and, uh, and we'll get to it in a minute. Um, it plays well into the fact that there are so many things that just attach a, there's so many projects, so many developments that just attach a blockchain to it. And then they try to tell you, see, this is blockchain. Come love us. When there's no need for blockchain at all. It's a beautiful meta startup is a beautiful metaphor for that whole, for that whole idea, because there's really nothing in that show that has anything fucking to do with cryptocurrencies or blockchain technology, where that's like a necessity and it drives the story forward. It, it's just not. So maybe the second season will be different. But anyway, let, let's move on to some other stuff. Uh, here's just a fun, a, a couple fun little stories. Um, crossover for Windows. This is, <laughs> or well, it's called Crossover. Now, this is not the same thing as you would install in Linux. Uh, you know, Crossover is a term used for a bunch of different software. This one in particular. This is Crossover for Windows apps and I think Win32 software that allows you to run it all on Android, that allows you to run Windows programs on Android. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, granted, the inverse has been very popular to where you run Android on Windows. But this direction is a very interesting one um, and one that I think it would be in AlphaGoog's best business interest to foster. If I were them, I would buy this company out. Okay, not that I necessarily need to run Windows stuff on an Android device. You know, it's best really just to get away from a lot of that. Okay, but wow, what a move. Um, so I haven't had the chance to play with it yet, but it's called Crossover uh, for Android. You probably want to check that out. Now, interestingly enough, something I have had the chance to play with is Remix OS, which we've talked about on Sovereign Tech in the past. We've been following it for some time, and actually I used to write about it quite a bit uh, at the Dark Android blog at darkandroid.info. They released this week a virtual machine version, as in, you know, the idea is is that you just, you know, it's one and done, you install it, uh, of Remix OS. Now, Remix OS is the uh, Android-based kind of desktop uh, operating system. It, It is Android. Okay, but it is it's centered on like there's configurations to where you can do multi window. Of course, now, you know, Android Nougat can do that. But uh, whereas multi window and it's supposed to make Android look like a desktop and work like a desktop. Now, earlier this year, I think it was back in January, they released where you could, you know, download it and, you know, you could put it on, put it an image on a USB drive and you could effectively boot up, you know, any computer you've got uh, into, you know, any x86 computer into Remix OS, into, you know, into Android. And you could even get the Google Play Store on there with side loading and everything. Now what they've done is they've just made a virtual machine version of it to where you can download it, you you know, and it's largely one-click install, and then you just kind of run Android like an app on your Windows machine. And right now it is only for Windows. Uh, but it works pretty good, and it has the Google Play Store already there, which I'm not sure how they pulled that off. I'm sure there's some kind of legal loophole that they made to where, you know, well, we're not actually, this isn't actually on hardware, it's just a virtual machine, so 
we can put it on there because Google is very particular over like you have to meet certain hardware requirements. Really, it's just about licensing um, and control over the Google Play Store that they, you know, they make manufacturers, you know, jump through so many hoops to be able to get the Google Play Store onto an Android device. Because for a lot of people, unfortunately, I wish this wasn't the case. I really wish this wasn't the case. And people used F-Droid and other things. Um, the Google Play Store, you know, Android is meaningless to them without the Google Play Store. They don't even know what the fuck, what the fuck to do. Uh, so I think they're probably getting through some legal loophole to be able to do this to where when you, you know, when you download uh, the virtual machine version of Remix OS, or it's called the Remix OS player. When you download that, that it already has the Google Play Store, you know, going and you can play games, you can do everything and you can, you know, you can use your whatever. If you have a Xbox One or 360 controller, you know, rock and roll. It's pretty slick. Uh, it does need a little bit of beef to it, though. Uh, four gig of RAM is a requirement. Uh, and I, it says like eight gig of hard drive space, but really you, you want 16 gig. Uh, and. I mean, it's it's Android. Just treat it like Android. Of course, that's what you want. And you actually want those specs on Android anyway. And and it does want a uh, Core i3 processor, at least uh, like a desktop class Core i3. Uh, so, you know, it, it takes it takes a little bit of a serious machine, you know, not too serious, uh, but it works beautifully. I mean, it's it smashingly. Actually, it, it works very, very well. Um. Let's get into the the last bit here. This is the last or well, a couple last subjects that I want to bring up. Um, this one is. This I want to take a little just a touch of time with this because YouTube this week and of course YouTube is effectively its own company if you don't buy into the or if, if you consider that oh they all spun off and they just had the parent company Alphabet but they want you to forget about the fact that YouTube is you know is is effectively owned all by Larry Page slash Google blah 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 right um, so YouTube is I mean and granted YouTube yes does have their own CEO it's not it's not like uh, I mean even when you know there was a time. When Sundar Pichai, you know, was effectively or Larry Page was running everything. And then when he stopped running things and he went off to do his alphabet thing, uh, which is still Google, um, you know, Sundar Pichai was running everything else under the sun. But even then they had a separate person uh, running YouTube. And as I've theorized in the past, eventually AlphaGoog is going to just become YouTube itself. Uh, so, you know, this is something that that does operate under a certain degree of, of separate rules from the rest of Alphabet. Uh, it may be the only company that really does that. Uh, but anyway, so they made an interesting move this week, and I want to talk about it because I think it has some pretty far reaching ramifications. So what what YouTube added this or is adding it's in beta right now is what's called community. Um, now, the name itself is interesting. OK, and what this is, is it's really just allowing in short, it's allowing YouTube uh, YouTubers, you know, YouTube uh, uh, producers, content creators to put other kinds of content on YouTube besides videos. What took them so long to do this? I don't know. But what I think happened is, is they got inspired and I talked about it on the Patreon, the Q&A Patreon episode this week, uh, which patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech, if you want to help out with that, got a couple, uh, you got more people uh, uh, that, that signed up for that this week, and I'm honored, uh, by the way. So anyway, but I, I talked about it there. What's happening is, is that, you know, Patreon, speaking of Patreon, Patreon has the same ability to where you can put up almost any kind of content on, onto Patreon, and then you can monetize it. OK, uh, and they have an actual they have a tab because now the Patreon, you know, your main Patreon page has like three tabs. Uh, it has uh, posts or it has page as posts, patron posts and then community, I think, or so something like that. 
One of the tabs, though, is community. And in that community tab, it's a it's a giant social network. But you could put, you know, other posts and all this different stuff on there. And people, Sovereign Tech listeners, have already taken advantage of that uh, to do all kinds of things, to share stuff with me, uh, you know, great stuff, great content that I've used in the show, uh, a bunch of other things. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. You have an all-inclusive, you know, uh, back-and-forth kind of content uh, – I don't know how to put this. I don't want to say content distributor, but you've created a content community with Patreon. And I think YouTube sees that and they go, holy shit, we're going to lose everybody to Patreon because with Patreon, a lot of different uh, you know types of content, uh, I think, including videos, but certainly audio and all that. You can just upload right into Patreon like and now they have RSS feeds for that. Like I, I think I mentioned it last week uh, or I, I mentioned it earlier this week. But what's, ha- what's happened with Patreon is now they offer RSS feeds for the audio that you upload directly to Patreon. Now, like on my Patreon page, I share the main Sovereign Tech show that, of course, comes out every Saturday that you're listening to right now. And it's been coming out for year for four, you know, four years now. Um, when I put those up, they won't appear in the custom RSS feed that Patreon creates. But the Q&A episodes, all the in, in a lot of the specific content, all the extra content that I put up, uh, audio content that I put up on uh, on Patreon for for Sovereign Tech patrons, those who donate, uh, all of that appears in a separate RSS feed, uh, a unique one that they send to, uh, you know, to Patreon subscribers. And then they can download it into their podcast app and everything. I mean, this is a, this is a phenomenal setup they've got going on there. And because, you know, that, that automatically kind of creates a, a paywall, you know, that a content creator can can make use of. Um, and that RSS feed cuts off the instant somebody stops donating. Once you start donating again, you know, it'll it'll send you a new custom RSS feed. I mean, this is this is amazing what's happening here. The And, and like I've said many times, podcasting is the new television. You know, it is the next it is really the next thing. It's been the next thing for a while. Just not everybody's on board with it yet. Uh, But it's going to get even hotter when these when the ways to monetize you doing so to monetize your content become very, very simple, which Patreon is allowing for. Now, again, Patreon's not perfect. I wish they would accept Bitcoin, you know, and and other things, Monero and, and, uh, you know, Dash and, and whatever else. Especially when all of those, you know, are, are increasing uh, in value, you know, n- nonstop. Uh, in fact, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I'm going to go uh, to CryptoCompare.com here. I'm curious just what the values are. So Bitcoin, this is, again, we're Saturday morning, uh, September 17th. Bitcoin's at 606. Uh, they have Ethereum listed here. Uh, they got the top four pretty much right here. You have Dash at $11.85. You have Monero. Uh, yeah, you have Monero. You have XMR uh, at $9.29. I mean, why, why wouldn't at that value, why the hell wouldn't Patreon, you know, take these things? I don't ever expect Google to do that, but Patreon's a little more scrappy. And I think that they would be able, you know, really to take advantage um, of that. But I think YouTube is scared. I think they are terrified of these new platforms because I've said, uh, you know, we've talked about this really for years on Sovereign Tech, that the company that, that takes advantage of the, you know, that, that really brings together the podcast community, you know, in the podcast medium in general and allows it to get, you know, get brought to the forefront and to get monetized easily and all that. They are looking at being the future. And I think Patreon is probably going to disrupt stuff just like Netflix did, which, man, Netflix, I mean, they're in some, you know, hot water. Not that I give a shit about laws, but I, you know, there's a good chance that, I mean, Hollywood is looking to slap them with antitrust. I mean, it's, it's insane uh, what's going on there. They're claiming they're a monopoly as far as content goes and all that. Uh, and obviously, that's not true at all. Uh, and I would, you know, but 
this is a thing that's happening. YouTube is afraid and they are they are adding these community features because they know that people are looking for that multimedia experience, not multimedia is in, you know, I think people forget what multimedia means. Multimedia means multiple different types of media getting, you know, sent out there by one content creator. Okay. And YouTube is obviously they're, they're looking at, you know, to jump on that and, and to take advantage of that. Uh, so, but Patreon's already there. Honestly, so this is this is going to be a really interesting space uh, to keep an eye on. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to look uh, for YouTube, but I, I wonder if it wouldn't backfire either, because really YouTube has kind of created an audience, in my opinion, that's not not the most intellectual, perhaps like the people that actually do really well on YouTube and that make a lot of money. I mean, maybe this will change things, but I just don't picture that there are people that would do reading or would do a lot of the things that perhaps a community aspect of, you know, to where you could upload different types of content besides videos would would really be interested in taking advantage of it. So, yeah, I don't I don't know, but it, it's an interesting move on, on YouTube's part. No doubt about it. Now, speaking of interesting moves by, in fact, uh, Alpha Goog themselves. Waze, which was bought out by by Google, you know, a few years ago, the very popular, uh, you know, map app. It's even more popular, I think, than uh, than Google Maps, really, as far as usage, like people that actually use it. I mean, Google Maps looks popular because it's automatically installed on so many devices. Um, but Waze, a lot of people love it. And I appreciate a lot of what it does, like the fact that it can warn you where police are, you know, where those road pirates are uh, and, uh, and ready to extort you. <laughs> but uh, I, I like that. Uh, you know, it, it gives you traffic information, all this different stuff. A lot of stuff that has also really been starting to get implemented into Google Maps proper itself. Um, but Waze is now being beta tested as a rideshare app, as in taking on Lyft and Uber. Now, this segues very nicely into the main story that I want to get into the, you know, the, the main listener chosen story, but you know, why is this happening? And I think the reason that it's happening is because Waze is not, as far as I know, it is not a separate company under alphabet. It is part of Google. And I wonder if this is going to be the ride sharing app that actually plays ball. And because every city gets excited over, you know, whenever Google wants to come to town and they do believe me, uh, you know, I wonder if this is going to be the, you know, this is going to be the regulatory darling of kind of the ride sharing, uh, you know, business. And it'll fill in the gaps, perhaps like in Austin to where, you know, where Uber and Lyft uh, a few months ago had been effectively banned. And so, you know, other cities were, were this in cities and states where this sort of thing is happening, that this Waze ride sharing, uh, you know, functionality and they're, they're trying out different things, you know, with it, but that this could become uh, the one that kind of that makes it, you know, because it has Google behind it. Now, it's interesting because Uber, uh, you know, effectively was was largely funded eventually. Uh, by by Google Ventures when they finally hit the big time, Google Ventures swept in and, you know, and, and, and really helped out with that. And, and there's a very I think there's a very close link between Google Maps and Uber, no doubt about that. Uh, but maybe this is where, you know, Uber is going to be. I mean, Uber got in trouble in France. There's there's been a lot of areas where Uber has really been in some some hot water. It moves on anyway. And, I, you know, and I get it. I, but I don't think Uber, you know, Uber also they regularly donate and fund uh, to a lot of, you know, police state functions <laughs> uh, like uh, Project Urban or, you know, uh, Urban Shield and all this different stuff. So, you know, I can't stand Uber for that. 
Um, but I wonder if Waze is one of these, uh, you know, new kind of it's not really an upstart because it's owned by Google, but it's a jumping off point to where a lot of the ideas and technology des- technologies developed by Uber can get put into that. And then it can be the one, you know, that that kind of moves on. And who knows, maybe maybe someday, you know, Google will just subsume Uber and it would all, you know, come into into being a part of Waze. Like there'd be a Waze Uber kind of just like what's happening with Waze and Google Maps, because Waze was very popular, far more popular than Google. You know, Google saw that Waze could really, you know, take down kind of their their monopoly position with Google Maps. Okay, I'm not saying literal monopoly. There's open street maps, Bing maps. I know that. Okay, but I'm just saying that like most people think Google Maps, especially after the fiasco with Apple Maps, which now Apple Maps honestly has gotten a lot better. Okay, so I could see where Google, you know, might subs- might consume, subsume, uh, you know, Uber, and then integrate it all into this new Waze ride sharing feature or whatever, which will play ball with the regulators, which annoys the fuck out of me, and you know, and and go forward with that, that maybe that's what's going to happen with all of this. Now, the reason that that might happen is because people recognize, especially with what happened in Austin recently, you know, in in the past few months to where Lyft and Uber were both, you know, banned from operating in the city uh, because people are looking to disrupt the space. They are looking to go bigger with, with the rideshare space. There have been other, you know, there's been a lot, including with blockchains. Uh, There have been ideas that have been uh, tested out in Israel, uh, and in some other countries where they have this, you know, kind of blockchainized ride sharing system, you know, that has its its own, you know, in-game currency, uh, as it were, um, which we've talked about them in the past on on Sovereign Tech. Uh, but one that's uh, that that's particularly interesting and that I want to talk about, it's called Arcade City. Now, this one hits a little close to home because the whole idea started with someone who claims to be a libertarian. Uh, you know, slash what I don't know what other terms he would use if he'd call himself an anarchist or whatever. Uh, but his name is Christopher David. And uh, he, the idea sort of started in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, it was something that was very exciting to a community that I somewhat belong to, that being the Free State Project. And which is, you know, if you don't know about that, freestateproject.org. Um, and there's been some controversy over the development of this idea of what Arcade City is, is this decentralized ride sharing, uh, you know, platform slash app slash a bunch of other things. Okay. Now I, while I could personally, you know, break down a lot of, you know, what this is about, what's going on, and then give you, you know, of course my personal commentary, which you're going to get that I guarantee you. Um, I actually listened to one of my favorite podcasts uh, this past week on September 13th. They released an episode where for about 20 minutes, they 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 did this inc- just beautiful Roger Paxson of the Lava Flow podcast, which if you want to go check that out, links in the show notes. OK, and I recommend that show a lot because I, I can't stand talking about politics, uh, at least not, you know, politics in general. Uh, but Roger does just an amazing fucking job every, you know, sometimes multiple times. I mean, all the time. He's just doing a great, great job. I, I cannot recommend the podcast enough. And so I thought. And in so, to some degree, I'm handing over the reins of hosting my show to him. Now, this is from his episode. OK, his a recent episode of the Lava Flow podcast and the way that he presented all of the facts. And he did a lot of his own research. I mean, he did. Roger did some serious legwork on this, getting in touch with Christopher David about what's going on and all this. So I don't think I could do it any better. So what I'm going to do now is 
turn the reins over to the clip from that episode of the Lava Flow podcast and let him explain everything because, I mean, he just covers all the bases. I couldn't do it better. So why would I even try? But I do want to get into my own points after the fact, because I have a lot of things, you know, to say uh, that, well, things that didn't get necessarily covered or that are, you know, high notes based upon what Roger had said. So I want you to enjoy this. Believe me, he does a phenomenal, phenomenal job of discussing this, this whole issue. Uh, and, I, I, you know, why, why mess with success? Here we go. In episode 33 of this show, I brought you an ANCAP app that I was super excited about at the time, Arcade City. At that time, Arcade City had a functional app that was connecting drivers and riders much like Uber. Arcade City was supposed to revolutionize ride-sharing using a decentralized model on the Ethereum blockchain. It was hailed as the Uber killer by some in the cryptocurrency media. Arcade City's goal was to connect drivers and riders peer-to-peer without a centralized company taking 30% of the ride cost, meaning more money for the driver and cheaper rides for the rider. The app that was initially released in February, though, was rudimentary at best and was pretty buggy, but it was there, functional, and it promised great things. But just a couple of months after the app initially came out, it was mysteriously pulled from app stores for no apparent reason, with a vague promise on the Arcade City site that version 1.0 would be coming out soon, initially mid-spring, to completely replace the old functional app. Well, the new 1.0 version of Arcade City didn't make it in mid-spring, but it finally came out on September 1st. Or did it? Many of the promises made that there would be ride-sharing, an integrated Bitcoin wallet, blockchain technology. None of this is actually part of the app that came out on September 1st. What did come out was a four-page app, with the only functionality being logging in and receiving and giving what are called karma points. The app doesn't even include basic functionality that most apps have, such as Facebook integration and the ability for the app to even stay logged in to keep you from having to type in your username and password every single time you open the app. These are very easy things to drop into an app that requires only basic and minimal coding to do, yet they're not there. The karma points I mentioned are meant to be used to unlock your city for ride-sharing. For example, the city I used is Portsmouth, New Hampshire the place where Christopher David started his Arcade City venture. And it has only 96 out of 20,779 karma points as of now, and has been that way for nearly a week. Yes, you heard that right. Two weeks after the product has been launched, the city the company was originally founded in, which should have some pretty massive hype about the product because of the Liberty community here and the friendships that Christopher David has here, has only point. 4% of the total karma needed to unlock ride-sharing in the city. But surely some cities are doing better, right? Maybe Austin, where Christopher David is now stationed and developing his product, it's close to unlocking basic ride-sharing, sure, right? The Austin City Council kicked Uber and Lyft out of the city months ago, which is why Chris moved out there to push Arcade City. There's quite a bit of support out there, and they've been doing ride-sharing under the Arcade City name for months through a Facebook group that has over 40,000 members. Surely, in a city that has that much Arcade City hype, they are close to unlocking ride-sharing, right? Austin, as of just a couple of days ago, was at 2,614 out of 790,390 karma needed to unlock the city, or 0.3% towards unlocking basic ride-sharing in the app. But not to worry. 
At some point, according to a comment by Christopher David in the Arcade City Square Facebook group, he is going to give a huge, arbitrary subsidy of karma to Austin to get them started. Quote, Eminent 100k city bonus and a few thousand KP each to folks who helped Austin with our unsung competition. The city should easily hit the needed CKB within 48 hours after that. Now that was a quote from Christopher David himself on Facebook. But how imminent is imminent? As of the recording of this podcast, there is still not even a single city up to 1% of unlocking the ride sharing. Oh, and be careful why you're giving away karma points so you can help each other unlock your city, because Chris has posted that he has arbitrarily deleted many karma gifts in the system because they weren't given for good enough reasons, according to him. In an email conversation I had with Chris before this show, he said that Austin is on track to being unlocked by probably Wednesday of this week. Now, that's the day after this episode releases. So I asked him if this included his arbitrary huge karma drop for Austin, since Austin isn't even close to enough karma. And he said, quote, subsidy implies it wasn't earned. The karma system reflects the contributions folks are making or have already made to the Arcade City ecosystem. Allocations are being made daily to the people who've spent countless hours building the Arcade City network over the past eight months. So apparently it takes Christopher David going to every city, setting up a headquarters, buying advertising, paying staffers, and getting a lot of people to do countless hours, as he said, of free work to unlock a city because they've earned it. Give me a fucking break. He also said, quote, We're projecting active, unlocked ride-sharing networks in 100-plus cities and at least 10-plus countries by the end of the year. Another thing that Chris said that baffled me is, quote, Our Austin leaders and our global swarm leaders are the people we want to have the most influence on determining who deserves which networks deserve help to come online next. So I have to wait for a bunch of people I don't know to wield their influence and determine when my city deserves to come online? So much for decentralization. And even after going through the huge and arbitrary hurdle of getting enough karma to unlock your city, Arcade City is requiring a, quote, constitution written by a diverse group of local Arcadians describing their vision for the community before ride-sharing can be unlocked. According to a post by Arcade City on Medium, quote, the city's constitution can include many things, written and multimedia, but at a minimum it should include a vision statement for the city and an explanation of the support and other processes that city will use for self-governance. The constitution should be the consensus result of an open and collaborative process involving multiple different stakeholders, both Arcadians and the broader public. What? The actual fuck? Other posts by Arcade City say that this constitution will require 30 potential Arcade City members to come together and write it for the entire geolocation they're in. So if I come in later, I'm bound by a constitution that I may have had no say in writing by people I may or may not know just to use this app? What kind of batshit crazy bullshit is this? What about decentralization? That sounds pretty centralized to me. So I asked Chris about this. I asked him, how is requiring karma points and a constitution to unlock a city considered decentralized? And why is that necessary for people to start making money giving rides, which is all that people really want to do with this app? His answer to this question baffles me as well. Quote, no one is preventing people making money from giving rides. Quote, we've had thousands of drivers giving rides for months, even without an app, including more than 1,000 drivers in Austin alone. 
Arcade City, the corporation, has laid out an ambitious vision of total decentralization over time, a vision that will take resources and solid corporate strategy to attain. We have a corporate interest in ensuring that people representing our brand in new cities aren't making stupid mistakes that give customers a poor impression of Arcade City. Mistakes that could have been avoided if they'd been connected with experienced drivers in our network. We think it's completely fair to ask that city networks develop their own processes for communication, marketing, and conflict resolution before allowing them to use the tools we provide. How does any of this equal decentralization? So what's behind the curtain of this app? We'll get to that in a few minutes. First, let's find out what's behind the curtain of Christopher David. Look, I've been in Chris David's corner for a long time now. I was at the very first Portsmouth City Council meeting where we protested their move to kick out Uber. This was Chris's free Uber campaign, and you heard me talk about it on this show. Shortly after that is when he started Arcade City. I was on the verge of putting some of my own money as seed money into Arcade City until allegations about Chris's past came out, and that made me skittish. I've always wanted Chris and Arcade City to succeed, but it's clear now that Arcade City is nothing more than a bit of bullshit. I don't think that Chris David is intentionally trying to scam people. But I think he is terrible at running a business with other people's money. And his past just proves this out. So let's start there. Back in early April, Medium.com posted an article called An American Fraudster, The Dirge of Christopher David, CEO of Arcade City. This tough expose was written by Ivan Chen O'Neill from a first-hand account of Chris David's past. Ivan worked closely with Chris for four years, starting in 2011. At the beginning of that time, Christopher David was actually Christopher Pyle before changing his name and forming his first company, Victory Online, a web marketing company that shut down after their biggest customer claimed that Chris was, quote, unreliable to work with and terminated their contract. Chris then went on to run for Congress. During his run for Congress, he took a lavish vacation at a three to $500 a night resort while running up the personal credit card charges on the card of Chin O'Neill to nearly $4,000 and leaving many of the people he contracted to work with his campaign out in the cold without ever getting paid. Also during this time, he used Victory Online to take an investment from a lady from, for $10,000 before closing down the company. Chin O'Neill won a judgment against Chris for over $5,000 money that he has still never seen one red son of today. One of Chris's former friends also claims that Chris owes him $150,000. Chris himself admitted on a Reddit AMA to owing a personal debt that runs in the high five figures, he says, and that he is, quote, not good at managing money. Chris then went on to start a Bitcoin consulting company called CoinVox with lofty goals that never went anywhere. He used that company much as he did Victory to take money from people with pie-in-the-sky promises and never delivering, including, according to his former partner, defrauding his partner in Coinbox for $10,000. As the Medium article says, quote, Coinvox, of course, also went to failure. Investors in Coinvox never saw any results, only expensive trips taken by Chris to attend Bitcoin conventions in New York, Washington, D.C., and even Hong Kong. Just like his congressional campaigns, Chris loved to use raised money on vacations and getaways. Now, I encourage you to check out the show notes page to this podcast, where I have links to this article and all the other items that I'm talking about here. You can get those show notes at thelavaflow.com slash 45. Now, obviously, I can't go into every single detail of this very long article on this show, but it is a fascinating read. This is the article that persuaded me not to invest in Arcade City. So it's at this point that Chris left California 
and moved to New Hampshire to join the Free State Project and began his free Uber campaign followed shortly after that with Arcade City. At this point, an article in Fusion goes deeply into what has been going on behind the curtain with the first iteration of Arcade City. That article is titled, quote, Why Austin's Anti-Uber Startup is Probably Doomed. This article was posted in late July of this year. It talks about his original 50-50 partnership in Arcade City with Dennis Acton. Dennis began to be worried when Chris began telling press in mid-January that the app would launch on Valentine's Day, despite the fact that the company had not hired anyone to code the app. Chris David claimed he was going to write the app himself, although he has said that his coding abilities are basic at best. This app was going to be a revolutionary blockchain-based ride-sharing app on the Ethereum platform. But when Arcade City finally hired a CTO, Mark Burgraff, to do the coding, they hired a CTO that had no idea what Ethereum was and who built an app that had nothing to do with Ethereum at all. While all of this was going on, in late January, a couple of weeks prior to the big launch of the app, Chris took on a political consulting job for a gubernatorial candidate. The candidate says that he paid Chris $23,000 to help collect the 3,000 signatures needed to get him on the ballot, but then he fired Chris after he delivered hardly any signatures at all. With the CTO working 18-hour days, Arcade City was able to release a very crude app on February 14th, but the app had only very basic ride-sharing capabilities and left out many planned features like GPS tracking and in-app payment options. Chris also claimed to have raised a round of capital that didn't materialize claiming later that it fell through after he, quote, announced it too soon. Many of the same allegations made by people who worked with Chris on previous ventures were being made by the early people involved in Arcade City, that his leadership was erratic, and that he would often disappear for days at a time with no explanation. As Fusion said, quote, When Acton and David held a swag sale that raised more than $2,000, the Arcade City-branded gear was never delivered to those who participated, and the money raised just disappeared. When Acton asked how the swag sale money had been spent, he says Chris evaded answering. Chris, meanwhile, says that he used the money for business expenses, though he declined to provide a record of such to anybody, and still plans to eventually deliver the swag. Dennis Acton said, quote, He was always fast and loose with money, and that was a red flag for me. But I felt if we could figure out a good corporate structure, we'd get some checks and balances in place. He's the vision guy. You don't want to rein someone like that in. But when you get into business agreements with people, you can't play fast and loose anymore. Dennis resigned in March after the swag sale issue, only to find out that David had started a new company, Arcade City Incorporated. The original company that Acton was a 50-50 partner of was Arcade City LLC. This is when Chris moved to Austin, setting up the Arcade City Austin Facebook group while he tried to raise capital for the company, for the new company. At one point, Chris said he was, quote, most of the way to raising $2 million from venture capitalists. But then a couple of weeks later, he claimed to only have raised the $270,000 from an unnamed angel investor. According to Chris David in an email to me, 100000 of that came from Roger Veer, known as Bitcoin Jesus. Others say the entire 270000 came from Roger Veer. Either way, this is money that Veer, according to sources, has acknowledged is gone now, and has said that he is not happy with how the money was wasted. In a Cointelegraph article written by Joel Valenzuela, Roger said, quote, Of course, I'm unhappy with how lavishly the money has been spent. Spending money frugally is the sign of a good manager. There are places to spend lots of money. In most places, you shouldn't spend money at all, especially when it's your seed capital. So Chris has also claimed to be, quote, on the verge of closing a $3 million funding round. But there has been no evidence of this at all. 
And now we make it to the present. Thursday of last week, Ivan Chin O'Neill published yet another article on Medium warning the community of new revelations. He described the new AC app this way. Quote, the app does nothing other than scroll users through a series of texts claiming that ride-sharing capabilities will be unlocked once users gather enough karma in each one of their cities. Understandably, drivers are frustrated and angry that the app was released with a game, forcing them to work for free before any of them can start making a penny. Chen O'Neill goes on to say that many people believe the current app has absolutely no ride-sharing capabilities built in to be unlocked at all, and he presents proof. In the article, he links to a Reddit thread where some programmers looked into the code for the Arcade City app only to find that the suspicions are correct. There is no code for any ride-sharing in the app at all. This clearly proves that all of the karma bullshit in the current app is nothing more than a smokescreen and a stall tactic so the ride-sharing can be built. But building the ride-sharing should be easy, right? With the nearly $300,000 he's raised. Maybe not. Remember when I mentioned earlier that Roger Veer has allegedly said the money is essentially gone? Well, he's right. According to Mark Burgraff, the Arcade City CTO that built the very first version of the Arcade City app that released in February, Chris David admitted to him that the money is pretty much gone and that there is no ride-sharing. In a Facebook message sent to Burgraff, Chris said, quote, Sorry I've been out of communication. Been barely scraping by money and tech-wise. We signed an agreement with a top React Native dev shop that we had to postpone some of the work on due to a funding shortage. So we have some partially done rideshare code and a good enough geo-unlocking Karma basic reputation systems app that I coded myself. It will take cities about two weeks to unlock. Between now and then, I'll get some basic rideshare functionality up, probably very similar to what you built back in February. Chris continues, saying, quote, We've raised enough angel funding, 270000 total, to keep the lights on. Have had many very productive conversations, but I decided to postpone closing a full round until after launch, given that we'll have stronger bargaining position once we have a massive global network on a shoestring budget, like we'll have in a few weeks. I'm going to Shanghai next month for DevCon 2, hoping to find a few deep-pocketed Ethereum folks who can fund the next big phase of development. And Chris confirmed to me also that the money's mostly gone, saying in an email, quote, Money is tight, but not gone, and I think we've made huge accomplishments on a relatively shoestring budget. We don't have Uber's $12 billion in capital, yet we've made a huge impact in Austin and globally over the past eight months. He's made that case a couple of times, but I don't get it. Uber didn't start out as a $12 or a $15 billion company. They started on a shoestring as well starting with three cars in New York and expanding from there. And it didn't require arbitrary karma points and centralized constitutions or for people to work for free to unlock their city before they could use an app to make money driving. I asked him where the money went, and he said, quote, Generally, our budget has gone to advertising, headquarters, paying app developers, a number of different contractors have worked on different parts of the app, and paying a few full-time and part-time staffers in Austin and around the country. I ask you this, does prioritizing a headquarters, staff around the country, and advertising make a bit of sense when you don't even have an app that can do what you promised? Of course not. This is just wasted money. As Chen O'Neill says, quote, this confirms our worst suspicions. One, the app in stores right now is incomplete and was intentionally released to stall users while Chris completes the ride-sharing coding himself. Two, 
Chris blew through all $270,000 from investor Roger Veer and others and still has no app to show for it. 3. Chris is broke and is heading to DevCon 2 in hopes of finding deep pocket Ethereum folks to fund his continued fraud. That's pretty damning, for sure, especially considering how much it would actually cost to bring out a basic rideshare app like Uber. Cleverroad.com has an article showing that it is estimated that a platform like that would cost only about $30,000 to develop. And according to Chris in our conversation, quote, the rideshare features in the app currently are largely similar to what we already launched back in February, with additions like Bitcoin integration and the gamification features added by me. The Bitcoin integration he's referring to is a Bitcoin wallet. Even with adding a crypto wallet into the app, which should not be much more than a drop-in piece of code, and adding in the decentralization and blockchain functionality, this app should have cost no more than $50,000. What happened to the other $220,000? I bet Roger Veer would love to know. Simply put, why did it take several months and $270,000 to put an unnecessary and centralized karma system that Chris said was written by himself on top of a supposedly decentralized ride-sharing app using the existing code for a ride-sharing app that they already had. This makes no sense. He could have written more than five apps with the amount of money that he had. In his Reddit AMA, Chris said possibly the truest words about his issues. Quote, I'm not good at managing money. I am not good at managing the logistics of following through on my big picture vision. Now, as I said earlier, I don't think Chris is intentionally trying to scam anybody. I think he has, yet again, found himself in over his head, and he is trying desperately to claw his way out of it. I do think, though, that as his past has shown, people close to him and those who have invested in Arcade City will be the ones to come out of this with the most lost. While I believe that Chris has every intention to release a functional app, I believe he has fooled himself and that it's never going to happen. I could be wrong, but I really wanted Arcade City to succeed. I love the original idea behind it, a decentralized rideshare app that would allow people to voluntarily decide how much a ride was worth to them. But that's not available and probably never will be under the name Arcade City. This seems to be nothing more than a vicious cycle and a pattern of Christopher David that has played out from Victory Online to CoinFox, and now to Arcade City. Caveat emptor. Now I understand that this perspective is likely to piss off quite a few people, including Chris David, but that's certainly not my intention. It's my intention to get all of this information out there, in one place, and to hopefully save some money lost for people who may be considering giving more money to Christopher David. I think Arcade City still has a chance, but the only chance it will have is if Chris David steps down and brings in someone to head up the company who can make this happen. I really want to see Arcade City succeed. And I think that's what it's going to take. Yeah, so, well, let me tell you, Roger, you <laughs> you didn't piss me off. I loved hearing your perspective and how you really put that all together. There's no way I was going to like really replicate that level. And Roger was definitely boots on the ground. So his perspective I consider far more valuable than mine on a lot of the details on all this. And and well, I mean, really in general, it's it's equally valuable. Uh, And so great honor to play that. If you have never listened to the lava flow flow podcast, please do. It's phenomenal. Uh, But a great honor to play that here um, on sovereign tech. So now that you have 
the basics, well, more than the basics, really, because, I mean, Roger, you know, he, he took it to the heights, in my opinion. I want to get into some of my thoughts on the whole matter. Um, I am not personally, and I'm going to try and break this up into two different sections to where I'm talking about the problems with the app and then perhaps community problems in general. Okay, I, I am not so hopeful uh, about, uh, you know, the or I'm not so, uh, uh, how to put this, I don't, I don't want to make the claim that Christopher David, you know, perhaps he's just bad at managing money, which Roger brought up, you know, he already says, or he admits that, that he's bad at that. Um, I worry that in this space, that there, there's, there's a lot of other problems. Before I get into that, though, I want to talk about the app itself, because I got a lot of, you know, when I, I mentioned on social media that I was going to talk about this, and some people... Uh, some people private messaged me. Some people direct messaged me. Um, I got a, a lot of people were asking me questions saying, hey, you know, don't you think you should hold off on this? You know, maybe you shouldn't talk about this right now. You know, hey, you know, this isn't really a problem. Aren't there other big stuff that you need to be talking about? Aren't there, aren't there other things? You're kind of you're picking on sort of a little guy here, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, I I, I think that's that's horseshit. Um, I. I regularly pick on the biggest companies in the world. I regularly go after, you know, all kinds of projects that fail. Um, it's, it's a mass mischaracterization of what I do on Sovereign Tech to say that all I do is scream at little companies, blah, blah, blah. No, I go after Ethereum. I rip on Ethereum all the time. I still think Ethereum is, is effectively a scam. And it, boy, talk about something that mismanages fucking money. Where the hell did that 16 million go, let alone the, you know, the, 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 a potential 270,000, you know, whatever that, that Arcade City was dealing with. That's a bunch of crap if you think that I can get shut up because, you know, I, you think you could tell me, oh, you're wasting time talking about this, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not. No, I'm not, because this is this is a serial problem in the community. I'll get into that, okay? But I want to start off with talking about my problems with the app itself, because it's the same thing with Ethereum, where, yes, I have a problem with Ethereum. I have a problem with Ethereum's management. I have a problem with Ethereum developers. I have a problem with Ethereum. But I, but my first points with Ethereum, it was that my issues were with the idea itself. Now, so let me talk about some of my problems with the idea of Arcade City in and of itself. I agree. The whole karma thing, that is a stall tactic. I think the, the evidence is through the roof on that. There is there and there's tons of links in the show notes for episode 193 of Sovereign Tech. Go read it all. OK, there's a, we got a lot of evidence here. Don't go telling me that, 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 that I'm bullshitting or that, you know, I'll I'll tell you when I'm when I'm doing conjecture. Believe me, I'll let you know when I'm speculating. OK, but there's a lot, a lot of hard, quote unquote, journalism research done on this whole subject. So it's worth bringing up. And I'll explain more why in a second. Okay, but people have looked into the app. They've broke it down and they don't see the ride share ability. Now, maybe, maybe I mean, you know, nothing's there. And, and that's the thing is that so much of this stuff was promised, promised, promised. Now, you heard Roger say the app that, that Christopher David told him in an email. Another reason, great reason that, you know, I loved having Roger, you know, talk about this uh, or, you know, t taking, you know, grabbing his content from uh, from the lava flow because he actually was in communications directly with Christopher David. So that's a very valuable perspective to have. OK, um, but, you know, Christopher David said that this was supposed to come out. That came out on the 13th. So it was supposed to come out on the 14th. That did not. Now we have, uh, according to the medium, this is this is my own content here from uh, medium. Uh, you know, on Arcade City's page where they, they talk about all this, uh, Chris David was at uh, the Blockchain World Congress. This would be on uh, 915. OK, he said that 
So Austin will unlock next week, and we expect about three cities per week after that until by the end of the year we anticipate 10, 20, or 50 uh, per week. So he didn't meet the date that uh, that he was talking about, and I'm sure he would have loved to have announced at Blockchain World uh, Congress in New York. You know, I'm sure Christopher David would have loved to have announced, yep, the app is out there, ride sharing's running and all that. But for whatever reason, that didn't happen, and now we got to wait until next week. And so what I'm saying is that maybe next week, Maybe next week, you know, when we record Sovereign Tech, maybe it'll have come out, the ride-sharing ability will be there, and the app will be goddamn beautiful. Maybe. But let me tell you what I think is happening there. Here's some speculation for you, and I'm going to get more into, uh, you know, what I what I have wrong with the way that this app is set up. Not that I don't think an app like this is, is wanted or needed. I think it is. I think there's interest in having this sort of thing. But there's problems. Okay, but anyway, what I think is going to is happening here right now is that this is all stalling because some other companies, perhaps people that were invested, and I don't have proof of this, I'm speculating, okay, but I'm being very clear on my speculation, and I am allowed to speculate on my show, is that some people are sending over a shit ton of their developers to go save Chris David's ass and bum rush this app out. Now, if that's what's happening, I understand why it's happening, because I think, you know, there's probably a lot of different people partnering uh, with with Arcade City, and maybe they're kind of riding on the success, on the potential success of Arcade City. Um, maybe that's what's going down. OK, but understand that that's a problem in and of itself, because you don't want this shit getting rushed. I mean, how, how much did people flip out when, uh, you know, when there, there was that? What did they find out about God mode with Uber and all this? You know, you want this data to be secure. I mean, if you're going to fuck up this app, I mean, there's there's a bunch of reasons why this is not something that needs to be rushed. And it supposedly had been developed for some time. And it's concerning that Christopher David, who admits that his his you know programming skills aren't exactly the best, decided to take this on himself. What investors thought that that was OK, unless they were going to start donating, you know, developers to the whole thing. And then, well, where the hell are those developers? And, you know, what the hell is taking so long? Um, I love the fact that uh, Roger brought up on the Lava Flow uh, podcast section that I played there, that he brought up how, you know, he had that article and the articles in the show notes for this episode as well. Episode 193 that, you know, it only at best it would have taken fifty thousand dollars to develop this app and it wouldn't have taken a whole lot of time either with the right people you've got you know shy of three hundred thousand dollars you couldn't bring on you know some some you know fairly good developers for all this i mean and that that leads you know to, to finish it up that that's mind-boggling to me it definitely feels like shit squandered and i appreciate that roger ver realizes hey i don't like the way this money was spent good i'm glad someone else is is, is saying that um but it gets into the, another point. It's sort of what I was talking about earlier with startup to where I don't see in this where there's any need for it to be attached to a blockchain because this is based off of Ethereum, which I have a problem with that out of the gate as well. Nothing new for sovereign tech listeners because I think Ethereum is a terrible idea out of, you know, right out. But yeah, like why? What, what, what part of this scheme needs, or and I don't mean scheme as in some kind of negative connotation. I'm just saying what part of this whole idea needs a blockchain? It doesn't. It doesn't need it at all. I think it's just there to try and take advantage of the space of, you know, the whole, the whole blockchain community, the whole blockchain space and everything. A lot of companies are doing this to where they're just slapping on the word blockchain so that they think they can get some free press and some hype and maybe get a bunch of, uh, you know, people that will, that will jump in on it perhaps for free because yeah, blockchains, we're going to change the system, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. 
Putting, like I always say, putting bad ideas onto a blockchain doesn't suddenly make them a good one. Not that I'm saying that this is a bad idea. Okay. But even if they wanted to do it a better way, I mean, there's, there's ways you could have done it. Just Christopher David could have, with even less money, could have easily made a web app, you know, made a centralized service that does exactly what he's talking about. And then just months down the line, just pivot and go full decentralized once people realize, oh, holy shit, this is really taking off in a bunch of very, uh, you know, in a bunch of cities, which it's not even doing now because everybody's getting bullshitted around by this whole karma setup, which is just so dumb that that in itself, talk about a, a scheme in the negative sense. That's a fucking scheme. To, to really to buy time for I don't I don't know what's going on there but you know nothing scares me more than a rushed app and that's that has to, in my opinion that has to be what's going on my opinion okay but I mean it would have been very very simple to set all that up and you could have had you know the micropayments and all this stuff everything built right into it and then again down the line you could have had a lot more money you could have had a lot more interest and you could have switched things up but that's that's not that's not what happened. I mean, and, and I love, you know, what Roger was talking about with the, the whole Constitution setup, the idea that you could end up becoming going into a city, you know, as a driver uh, for, you know, with Arcade City, using Arcade City, I guess not with, but whatever, using Arcade City. And but, you know, these are rules that you're going to have to follow that you didn't agree to say when you moved to that city and all this. I mean, it, it really it's it it does not feel decentralized. It doesn't feel like a much better system at all. So I don't get it. I mean, you know, th th that's that's the tip of the iceberg of my problems, uh, you know, with with how all of this is uh, is really getting getting set up but i mean it just it reminds me of steam it where like there's no need for there to be a blockchain on this whatsoever i mean there's so many problems and like you know where where is the bitcoin wallet where like roger said where's the facebook integration that would have been very easy uh you know to to put in uh and and, and here's the other thing too is because I, you know, I listened to, there's an interview. I put a link to the, sh in the show notes for this as well. Um, there's an interview with a guy named uh, Mike Allen. Uh, it's on the air with Mike Allen in, uh, who's based out of Austin. And he did an interview with Christopher David recently. And it, towards the end of it, it's at the, like the 160 minute mark. Christopher David starts flipping out on this guy who's very calm and asking very simple questions. Now, I don't agree with every question that Mike Allen was making because he's talking about, it's like, you know, isn't this illegal? Isn't this blah, blah, You know, I, I don't give a shit about all that. I'm an anarchist. Okay. But one of the things that bothered me that Christopher David kept repeating was saying, it's like, well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really have to be profitable. Amazon wasn't profitable for 10 years. Listen, Jack, you're not Amazon. And you don't have a plan either. And that's another problem, too, with this whole business structure that's going on, uh, because this is for here's this is from another medium post from Arcade City's official medium post or, or you know, medium account. And this is from nine eight quote from Christopher David himself setting up Austin and keeping the app development on track has required my full attention. And there hasn't been time to produce multi-page financial projections or otherwise participate in the intensive conversations that would precede a possible VC investment on the timetable we need. Let's say he got three, you know, $270,000 from whoever, okay? Who the fuck would invest in a company that doesn't have a multi-page financial projection set up for at least even a quarter ahead? He doesn't have any of this. This leads into my second topic, 
Okay, it's about the community and all this. A lot of people that you know want to want to invest in these you know little little scrappy upstarts, you know, that are gonna gonna fuck with the state and fuck with regulations, and they get all excited about that. And let's be super clear here, okay? I don't think you can separate Arcade City from libertarianism because the because they're part and parcel, and they started within that community. And a lot of people put a lot of their money. You know, Roger talked about you know uh, Roger Paxton from the Lava Flow. You know, talked about how he was gonna get you know getting involved. Everybody's getting involved. Everybody's excited and all that. You gotta understand a lot of people. People in New Hampshire, in my you know home geographic area, are really pissed at this guy. There's a lot of people that aren't, but there's a lot that are and feel like they got taken because this money is effectively gone. Okay, but you can't separate the two, and I don't think you can separate the crypto community from libertarianism either, or from you know freedom ideas and all that. So you you have this real hodgepodge going on, and that's where I, you know I come in because I you know I to some degree I belong to all of those. Okay, uh, but what's happening is is that because you have because you have a group of people that being libertarian slash anarchists whatever. Okay, because you have these people that don't believe in contacting the authorities that are trying to buck the entire system, perhaps end run the whole system that are you know not dealing with authoritarianism in general, this becomes this whole idea, and including the crypto space where privacy is a big deal and you want to encrypt everything, okay, this becomes a space where I think you attract and I'm not calling Christopher David this, I'm just saying in general, you attract a lot of shysters, you attract a lot of sociopaths, you, you attract a lot of hucksters, you attract a lot of people that are ready to take advantage of a community that will not call the authorities. And I'm not saying people should be calling the authorities by any means. I'm just saying that there are people that will come in and take advantage of all this, be it the crypto space, Liberty space, whatever. Okay. And there's all there, you know, speaking of laundry list, there's a laundry list here and I want to go down some of it. How about empty Gox? How many millions got taken away there? You know, and, and, and I mean, eventually the regulators, you know, got involved because there was just so much money and so many people affected. OK, but that went down. How about uh, remember Josh Garza, CEO of Garminer, uh, Gall Miners with Paycoin, where he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's going to be a twenty dollar floor. Uh, you know, every Paycoin is going to be worth twenty dollars right out of the gate. I'm dealing with Amazon. I'm dealing with Walmart. I'm dealing with Target. When Amazon, Walmart and Target came out and said, no, we're not dealing with this guy. What the hell are you talking about? And that all fell, fell flat. And Gall Miner itself, that, I mean, that's a whole other fucking story. Okay, I, I, the, the previously mentioned incredible mismanagement of almost $17 million by Ethereum, which most people admit to, that there was a ton of mismanagement and the crazy topsy-turvy stuff that even happened in, in the management in general um, of Ethereum that gets talked about publicly or perhaps not so publicly. Then you have, uh, well, it's Alex Green. Remember this? Remember MintPal, the MintPal exchange? What did he get away with? He got away with what he ran Moolah, right? That was above and everybody's all, oh, we're so excited. MidPal is going to change everything. Yeah. Dogecoin. They're accepting Dogecoin. Dogecoin is going to be the real deal to the moon. Well, the only person that went to the moon was Alex Green to the tune of 4,000 Bitcoins he walked away with. There's a lot of this in the crypto space and in the liberty space in general because of the very nature of the fact that they know people will not go after it. This is not something you would hope. Like myself, this is what I hope. You would hope these spaces that really want to, you know, really change things up, really bring an end to kind of the legacy system or at least, you know, end run the whole goddamn thing. You would hope that it would be attracting idealists, you know, intellectuals, but it's not. In many ways, it's attracting very clever people that just come in and they know how to talk nice and perhaps they know how to pull the strings. 
Now you can say, well, but Stallion, you know, in, 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 in the legacy system, as you call it, you know, in regular business and banking, all the blah, blah, blah. I mean, this shit happens all the time. It's not, you know, what happens in the crypto space is a drop in the bucket. Yes, this is accurate, but you have to understand that in the legacy system, all of this shit's institutionalized. Like, it's accepted. It's order of the, of the day. The reason that people get excited, the reason that people want to get involved with the crypto space, the liberty space, and all that, is because it's not supposed to be like that. Yes, I hold libertarians, anarchists, to a much higher standard than all the dumb fucks on Wall Street. That includes you, Christopher David. Maybe it's all, maybe he's just a bad businessman. I mean, well, no, it's not maybe he's, it's definite he's a bad businessman. When you don't have multi-page projections for quarters coming up. Are you kidding? Maybe it's just a fluke. I know I'm a developer. I've had to delay things. I've had to delay, delay things by a couple months at, at, at points. But here's the difference between that. And this is something, this is getting back to kind of like an app development model that I cannot fucking stand. It's not just an app development model. It's really a model for everything. Whatever happened to the idea of cash on delivery? When I'm done with something, I'll take your money. When I'm done. And if I can't fund it myself, then I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to put other people's money on the line. Yes, like I said, I'll admit, I've had delays. I do delays. That happens. It's the nature of the business and all this. But I don't play with other people's money. That's where the difference comes in. And I think this is a huge issue, especially with something that should have been so basic. This, this, this really shouldn't have been that hard. All you had to do in many ways was just copy what Uber and Lyft does, you know, and maybe and, and just not not have it so centralized, have it so that people, you know, could create their own little groups, with, you know, through a web portal or something like there's ways that this all could have been done. It didn't need a blockchain at all. He, he, he sold. I think I think that shit got sold just as a marketing fucking tactic and as a way to get more money. And this guy's going off to Shanghai. Okay, to that big Ethereum conference there, and he he admitted that he is going to be looking for some deep pockets. I hope those deep pockets never get reached into. I want this sort of thing to exist. I do not want it being done by the people involved right now. The greatest innovations happen out of garages where the you know the the, the solder smoke is still coming out. Okay, by the people that have actual passion, that aren't looking to, you know, for some degree of celebrity, which I think is going on based upon also his history in politics, you know, Christopher David's history in politics. I want, pe I want people like Satoshi, who you never knew they did it, but they, they, you know, they changed the world when they brought it out. I have problems with how this app is set up, the constitution system, all that. I have problems the way business is being done, the way money is obviously being completely mishandled. I have a whole bunch of problems. I don't have to get into what Christopher David has done outside of that. I don't have to knock Christopher David. I can just look objectively at the actions being taken, and they are bad actions. They are terrible actions. They are actions that any other app, it doesn't have to be this app, I would say is dumb. unbelievable what's happened here and people just keep soaking up the you know the these these really uh, these electroplated dreams that have no actual substance and i don't i don't know what's going on. i mean are people in these spaces just so gullible are you just so are you so desperate 
for change, perhaps, in your life or in your lifetime. You're so desperate for freedom or you're so desperate for this and that, that, you know, anybody that walks in the door or any idea that crosses your table, you're just like, oh, yeah, 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 I want to use this, I want to use this, I want to use this. I worry. I worry. And, you know, it makes it worse because I worry about kind of social media in general. The way things, you know, this is a common topic on Sovereign Tech to where I think you think, especially like on Facebook and other places, you think you're kind of, you know, that that you're quote unquote friends with somebody and that they're really, I think a lot of people have the perception that on social media in a lot of ways, people are just sharing, you know, kind of their random thoughts and that if they share something with you, it's really just because, oh, well, they're, they're actually excited about this or whatever. No, I think on social media, a lot of stuff is getting shared these days. And this is something I've had to come to terms with, uh, you know, even in the, in the circles that I roll, okay, that a lot of it is because behind and, you know, perhaps in some secret groups or in some, you know, and I don't mean it sounds so nefarious, but in some secret, you know, back rooms or whatever, people are talking about, okay, you, you schlep up my app, you schlep up my te- technology. Okay. We'll work together and we'll both get pumped up and it'll all be good. And we'll all make a ton of money, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and they make it look like that it's some kind of grassroots thing. They make it look like it's some, you know, really independent thing when it's not. When really this is just, you know, back room business deals, just as they've always been. And I, I can't stand it because I get the, you know, excuse my perceptions because I think, you know, I talked about this last week like with the Brave browser. I'm like, why is everybody excited about the Brave browser? This doesn't make sense. Now I'm starting to think that some of these companies are working with Brave or, you know, so not these companies, some of these people, some of these individuals are working with Brave. And so they're talking about it. And that's why they don't bother to bring up that. Well, wait a second. Opera's already doing this or W3C already talked about doing this or this talked about doing this. It's because it's all fucking marketing. What the fuck? And there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying there's, you know, anything evil in doing that. I'm just saying, could we be a little more honest? You know, could we maybe say sponsored post? I don't know, something like that. I get annoyed. I get really, really annoyed, you know, by all that. But anyway, Christopher David, Arcade City, this is something I would be steering clear from. Okay. I am not going to come out and say that it is some kind of scam. I will say, I think it's a scandal. I, I, I think that this is, this is really, you know, I, I think it definitely fits under that definition. I will say that, you know, anybody, any business model set up like this, any app that's not delivering like this. And, you know, if this week, let me tell you, if this week, if it actually ends up getting released in Austin, am I going to eat my words? No, because I think what happened is, is that a lot of vested interests tried to jump in and save the day and Arcade City as a company still did not deliver. Somebody else did. Somebody else came in. And so I would still not trust Arcade City and I would still not trust Christopher David at the end of the day. This is, this is a fuck up. And you know, what it really says more, it doesn't what it, what it really, you know, comments on isn't necessarily Christopher David. It isn't Arcade City necessarily. It comments on that. We have a real problem, that big, ugly, we, Okay, that being the crypto space, liberty space, and whatever, we have a problem to where, if it's just gullibility, or if it's just, you know, desperation, or what. But there are people that, if you take two steps back and think about it, there are projects that if you take two steps back and think about it, you're going to look at it and say, wait a second, this isn't good business. 
this isn't something that that's really going, you know, going to work. And, you know, until that time, I mean, you know, maybe it comes down to, I don't, there's not a lot of people in the crypto space and in the Liberty space, honestly, that, that I don't think they know what good business looks like. I don't think they know what a good business plan looks like. I, I, I think there, there's some very skewed perceptions there. You know, a lot of people make fun of the fact that libertarians have no money, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, to some degree, it's fucking true. And that's because they don't know how to do business, among other things. And maybe that's why this all happens. Anyway, that's enough for, uh, for Arcade City. Talked about that for a good long while. Uh, total thanks, total credit to Roger Paxton for putting all this together so, so nicely. Uh, and there's a lot of stories to read in the show notes. I recommend you check those out before you send me an email saying, oh, RKC is going to be five, blah, 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 blah. You know, maybe it will come out. Maybe it'll actually do something just like Ethereum. I thought Frontiers is bullshit, but somehow people still give a shit about Ethereum. I don't think that's going to last long. OK, but somehow they still do. Maybe all that will happen. But I think at the end of the day, my point will be the same. And I think like Roger said, this sort of thing is bound to come out, but it probably won't be under the name Arcade City, or at least it won't be the one that'll last. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. Whoa, hey, well, talk about things that last, that really last. And talk about, talk about you know, liberty guys and crypto guys that actually know how to do good business. Let me tell you about Roberts and Roberts brokerage, Tim Fry. I love this man. And I mean that he is, he's phenomenal. Okay. Uh, if you want to get your hands on some real cold storage, something with real value, you know, and a, and a proven value, <laughs> get your hands on some gold and silver, platinum, palladium, all, all the different ways you like to get it. Go to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Gold.zog.ninja is the website or rrbi.co. Let them know the golden stallion sent you. And believe me, Tim Fry understands that there's value in the crypto space. You can get all of it with Bitcoin if you want. He's a Bitcoin preferred business. Roberts and Roberts Brokerage is Bitcoin preferred. Can you get any better than that? So get your hands on some real cold storage of your wealth with some gold, silver, platinum, palladium. Head on over to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. They are one of the best businesses in the world. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I've dealt with them. I know others that have dealt with them. And I mean, you cannot, Amazon can't beat the, the business and the shipping and everything else that this company does, you know, that this brokerage does. It's just phenomenal. So Roberts and Roberts brokerage for all your, all your precious metal, metal needs, go to gold.zog.ninja and, uh, whoo, Let's get back to some sovereign tech. Maybe we can uh, maybe we can cool things down. As cold as gold, baby. Woo-hoo. Pixel. Pixel, I'm being chased by assassin bots. I need an exit. Pixel. Brian Sovlin, come with me if you want to leave. Who are you? I'm Adelaide. I'll tell you more later. Get in the vehicle. Get in a car with a scantily clad and beautiful woman? Guess it's been my first choice before. Let's go. First choice. Well, we already did first choice, and I want to talk about something else quickly. I'm, I'm actually going to cut out a segment here because we spent so much time talking about that, uh, talking about Arcade City in the last segment. Um, 
But I do want to say, you know, talking about the gullibility of, you know, the various movements of the liberty space, the crypto space and all that. There are some people, fortunately, who certainly are not. I would I I don't want to mischaracterize saying that, oh, everybody's gullible and all that. No, there are some people who are very, very intelligent, very insightful, and they can read a person from a mile away and say, no, that's bullshit. I like to think I'm one of those. I'm not, but I'm not going to, you know, not going to boast or go on saying that. But those people are out there, and I'm glad you're out there, and I know who you are, and I think you're wonderful. Uh, and so, you know, and, and I wish people would listen to them. I wish people would listen to the, but, but, you know, it's, it's annoying what happens is that they're like, oh, it's FUD. Oh, it's this. I mean, they, they constantly, anytime you complain about these projects and look, I don't complain about all these projects. Like I said, last week, I praised Dash. I praised Monero. I praise Bitcoin on a regular basis. I've praised other new technologies that some of them have, you know, come and gone like NXT that I thought was great. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's all this stuff, Zcash, which is coming out, which I am so fucking excited about Zcash. And I look at the team at Zcash and you've got the right stuff. We've got our own pixel. We got Paige Peterson over there, baby. Woo. You know, Zuko's a good guy. I mean, it's, 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 it's wonderful. Okay. You can look at, you know, you got to look at these whole pictures, look at what the, what is the app idea? What are the goals? What is the team? And it's okay to dig some history. It's okay to, you know, to wonder about some history with all that. So anyway, um, you know, and again, I don't have any problem with finding out ways to monetize. I monetize this show through various things. I have sponsors. Okay. I have, uh, you know, I have the Patreon page, which I want to tell you, I, I think I mentioned it earlier already, but I'm just going to tell you about that real quickly. Okay. Because I like to do this in a very open, honest way. All right. And I deliver, you know, if you want to become a Patreon subscriber, if you want to become a sovereign tech patron, you get, like I said, you deliver first, then you ask for the money. I deliver episodes every week for patrons only. Okay. And I, and I put those out there before, you know, that I was doing the big push for people coming on Patreon. I mean, I have Patreon available already and you could already donate cause you're already getting a week, you know, an episode of sovereign tech every week. Okay. But I made sure when I did the big push for it, I said, look, here you go. I am asking you for at least a dollar a month. And what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you Q and a episodes where you can ask me the questions. I'm not just putting out my own bullshit. Okay. You can ask me questions and I will answer them. I do those episodes. We do breakdown episodes of other things, all kinds of specials. All right. I mean, and now it's all in its own RSS feed. As soon as you sign up for Patreon, you get, they email you instantly your custom RSS feed that you can put into your podcast app and you can listen to all those episodes at 1.8 X, 2 X, 3 X, whatever you have to listen to those episodes, you know, whatever speed you happen to listen to them. Okay. I'm trying to do this in an honest way because in, there's no, like, you know, in economics, there's no requirement for an honest market, but I think the first, the first step in having a great product, the first step in having a great business is in having honesty that you're bringing to the market. Okay. And, you know, dealing in an honest way. So I deliver first, then I ask for money. When I release my games, I deliver first, then I ask you for the money, then you got to pay. That's how things, in my opinion, should be done. But the world doesn't work that way. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. Whoa, hey, you want to slow down? 
I don't do slow. I move fast. Okay. Well, so you're French. Everyone in the future speaks French. Wait, wait, wait. The future? From 2099. Permanent Autonomous Zone, Osiris One. You've been there. Oh, this isn't happening. It only thinks it's happening. How do I know you're from Osiris One? LGP fingerprint Omega 74656666. Okay, you're, you're legit. Hey, really, be careful. You drive like you're playing a video game. That is how you programmed me. Game talk. It is time for game talk. Like I said, we're going to skip first choice. I was going to talk about Demon Saw, uh, which is not something esoteric. It's actually uh, a technology, an interesting technology, supposedly non-peer-to-peer, but not centralized either. Uh, so, but I'll, I'll have to save that um, for next week. Uh, but anyway, it's something that looks interesting. I'll put it that way. Not to say I don't have concerns. Um, but here is what I want to talk about for Game Talk. And of course, this is where we talk video games. And I think this is an amazing thing. And it actually, it dovetails nicely on how you really can, one person can really develop kind of, you know, an amazing thing and do an amazing thing uh, and and get and get paid for it. And everybody finds value out of it. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's phenomenal what, what you can do. Um and this is, uh, this is a story from Kotaku. Uh, two years later, the Sims 4 sex mods have gotten intense. And what they're talking about in particular is, well, here, I'll, I'll read a little bit. Normally, woohooing in the Sims 4, of course, the Sims 4 is a very popular, you know, person simulator, uh, is pretty tame. That is, unless you download some of the latest mods. Released a couple of months ago and further updated this week, Wicked Woohoo, that's the name of the mod, is a mod that allows players to do an extraordinary number of new sex-related acts within the Sims 4. Of course, Stallion here... I love sex. <laughs> so anytime I get to talk about it on the show, woohoo, you bet. <laughs> but anyway, uh, seriously, the feature list for Wicked Woohoo is bananas. The short of it is that the mod adds new kinky animations and interactions. The long of it is, well, look at this feature list. Sex, starting sex in- interactions with one or two sims, teasing, hand job, foot job, oral job, vaginal, anal, inviting any amount of sims to the sex interaction, group sex, woo, orgy, all right, uh, changing sex type and position at any point, swapping sims in the sex interaction at any point making sims go away from watching sex of your sims undressing sims in the sex interaction top bottom shoes uh blocking of objects used for sex to avoid other sims using them uh settings ability to change sex interaction progression category progression you know random animation stage progression disabled uh ability to disable gender restrictions and use any animation for any gender uh ability to enable always accept setting which makes every sim accept every sex position ability to enable disable slash disable select animations ability to change i mean it, it's a it's a huge huge list there's exhibitionism undressing top or bottom i mean you know so you can do a whole strip tease in the game and all this shit uh, i mean there's there's tons uh, sims learn exhibition skill exhibitionism skill over time <laughs> i love it Whew, what a list it reads on uh, even the specifics of how to use the features are fantastic uh wicked woohoo is fully implemented exhibitionism skill that decides what uh, you can do every level unlocks new possibilities as your sim gains more confidence to start uh just change into more revealing outfit or admire yourself in a mirror as are the arguable shortcomings of the mod. Uh, does sex animations or do sex animations never stop um, in the current public release? They never stop on their own. So they'll just keep fucking forever. So what? <laughs> I, th- I think that's great. Uh, the creator of the mod turbo driver. That's the name. It's one guy actually has a Patreon set up for the support of wicked woohoo's creation. And he's making a tidy $1,000 a month. 
doing it. Amazing. We've come a long way from when The Sims 4 modders were merely drawing naughty bits on their characters. And the link in the show notes for episode 193 will actually get you to Wicked Woohoo uh, to be able to download it if you're a person that plays The Sims 4. Now, as soon as I read this, <laughs> I was like, ooh, I need to go download Sims 4 again <laughs> because now the game gets interesting. Because, you know, if, if it's a person, you know, a person, you know, or life simulator and everything, what do I want to do? Well, I want to get my fuck on, right? So, but the game never really, I mean, it allowed for, not really, it didn't really get, you know, uh, shall we say ankle deep or knee deep in this case, uh, you know, into it, but now it does. But what's interesting, well, I love the fact, and you can see, you know, pictures of what it does in the show notes. And I mean, and these are full on orgies going on in these games. Like it, it's, it's phenomenal to see. It's, it's really wild. Everything that, that's happening. Um, what's really interesting that happened here is that this guy modded a game, you know, another game that somebody built, and he's doing a thousand, he quit his job. I mean, when you go to his Patreon page, it tells you he quit his job because the, you know, the system was facilitated to easily pay somebody for the value that they are bringing to the market. In this case, a mod to a game. Does he deserve like, oh, he's, he's basing it on prior IP. He shouldn't be making money off of this. This was a big deal in, in, on Steam, right? And not S-T-E-E-M, but S-T-A-M. This is a big deal on the Steam gaming platform because they implemented to where you could buy mods. But then what happened is everybody made a stink because they were so used to not paying for mods and they said, well, but it's not really their game, so you, we shouldn't have to pay for it and blah, blah, blah. No, how much work got put into this? Two years worth of work, and he's made, I mean, in many ways, and he's still developing it, you know, and he's getting paid $1,000 a month. I mean, that, that's phenomenal to do that kind of development, okay? And I'm sure he's, you know, spending his time developing other things, too, and who knows what he'll make off of that. But, I mean, he's taken all this time, uh, you know, to, to really make an entirely new feature of the game. Should he get paid the same as the developers that would come out with say expansion packs, which are very popular in the Sims games? Fuck. Yes, he should. Absolutely. I think he should. There is nothing wrong with this at all. In fact, I think it's beautiful and sexy too. I mean, just, just fucking wonderful. What he has going on here. And I love this, this idea of, and I wish, you know, taking it back to arcade city. I wish that's what arcade city would allow for to where independent people could get paid for providing some kind of a service, but that's really not what happened. And in fact, honestly, again, for people to even be able to do that. And the people that, that are doing independent ride sharing and all that stuff, they don't need an app for that. <laughs> they, they just, they, they don't, maybe they need some kind of payment system, which, I'm sure, you know, any multitude of, 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 you know, which I guess at the end of the day, that's sort of what what um, what Arcade City was kind of shooting for. Uh, but I mean, there could, you know, all you need really is just some kind of Patreon and just let it all happen independently. Let it happen really decentralized to where, you know, you have people operate as independent contractors and they, you know, ride sharing contractors and they can, you know, collect the money, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, you know, and have some kind of system maybe based off of open street maps. So you don't have to pay, you know, all the bullshit licensing fees to any of the other companies, you know, and, and you just, and you make it work. And I think one person is actually with very little money is able to create that, that sort of system. Uh, especially, you know, if you integrated it with Bitcoin or to hell, take advantage of, you know, work with the Monero developers or, or Dash or whatever. I'm sure they'd love to do this sort of thing. In fact, I've already heard that there's there's other apps. Cell 411 is going to be, you know, is looking to develop a ride sharing system into their app and all this. But I mean, my bottom line being here, OK, is that one person, one developer really when it's the right one really can do amazing things. I think this is phenomenal. 
I always say the technologies that excite me, the technologies that get me all hot and bothered, woo, like looking at these, <laughs> whatever, my sex life's fine, but <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't need to play games where it's happening. Um, but I'm, I'm just saying that the technologies that excite me are the ones that turn individuals into one person economies, one person creative studios, and, you know, for lack of a better word, again, into one person countries. You know, I guess maybe that's the very essence of the independent contractor. I don't care for the word contractor, but whatever. Those are the things that excite me. Uh, and, 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 you know, I am all for that sort of thing coming. And I mean, understand, you know, same deal. Wicked, you know, Turbo Driver here developing with the Wicked Woohoo expansion for the game. And this is no small feat of coding. Don't, don't misunderstand that. Don't think, oh, well, that, that's easy. He just based it off a of prior code in the game. Well, fuck. Everybody bases everything off of, fire, of fucking prior code, largely, unless, you know, it's something new like Made Safe with Rust or, you know, like a, a, a read, what is it, Redox OS or whatever that's called, uh, where, where it's a Rust-based operating system. Pretty much everything's based on some kind of prior code. So that, that, that argument's, uh, you know, a bunch of shit. Okay, but he made, he brought value first. Then, you know, a turbo driver here brought value first, then asked for money. You know, then said, hey, if you'd like to donate, you love what this is. And you don't even have to donate to get access to it. You know, please feel free to, you know, to send me money. And now he's doing $1,000 a month. This is the future that I want. The pay what you want, the doing things out of passion. I love it. This is real. Entre- this is real entrepreneurship. Some of the other stuff we talked about in this episode. Hmm. Tonight, Knight Rider crashes into your living room. I don't believe this. Well, you'd better believe it. A lone crusader for justice drives this crime crasher. The world's most fantastic car. And together they can do just about anything. After all, we're only human. Don't press your luck. And now buckle up for action with the fastest show on television, Knight Rider. See Knight Rider online today. And now back to Sovereign Tech. Pixel says it should be this panel. We need to hack into the control center to shut down all of those assassin bots. Well, you're the android. Can't you just jack in? Wait, but the way I connect is more like a jack off. Was that a joke? Hacking is no joke. Hmm. Directly connecting certainly beats doing it with the keyboard. Hmm. You're notorious for your love of cyber sex. Okay, now that was a joke. Just get hacking. A quick hack solves everything. Hack sack. It is time for a hack sack, but boy, wish it was time to crank up some wicked woohoo. <laughs> oh man, that is. Oh, this is good. I'm just taking. Oh, 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 oh. Oh my. Well, okay. All right, I'm turning it off. Sorry. Uh, all right. So <laughs> I actually have kind of a serious subject to bring up here. This is something else uh, that I got emailed quite a bit about. Um, and I'm going to read this story got published in a bunch of different areas, but I'm going to read from the hackernews.com in particular. Of course, link in the show notes for episode 193. Xiaomi, that being uh, X-I-A-O-M-I, you know, it's the, the smartphone and other various device manufacturer. Uh, in fact, Google's working with them uh, from time to time. Uh, Xiaomi can silently install any app on your Android phone using a backdoor. What does this mean? Let's read a little bit. Um, 
Note, don't miss it. Oh, wow, they updated the story since I last had it. Okay, well, here it is. Do you own an Android smartphone from Xiaomi, HTC, Samsung, or OnePlus? If yes, then you must be aware that almost all smartphone manufacturers provide custom ROMs like CyanogenMod, Paranoid Android, and others uh, with some preloaded themes and applications to increase the device's performance. But do you have any idea about the pre-installed apps and services your manufacturer has installed on your device. What are their purposes, and do they pose any threat to your security or privacy? With the same curiosity to find answers to these questions, a computer science student, a security enthusiast from the Netherlands, who owns a Xiaomi Mi4 smartphone, started an investigation to know the purpose of a mysterious pre-installed app dubbed AnalyticsCore.apk that runs 24-7 in the background and reappeared even if you deleted it. Xiaomi is one of the world's largest uh, smartphone manufacturers, which has previously been criticized for spreading malware, shipping handsets with preloaded spyware slash adware, and forked versions of Android OS and secretly stealing users' data from the device without their permission. After asking about the purpose of analytics of the Analytics Core app on the company's support forum and getting no response, Thagis Benort, oh, I'm going to mess up, the the guy from the Netherlands, uh, reverse-engineered the code and found that the app checks for a new update from the company's uh, official server every 24 hours. While making these requests, the app sends device identification information with it, including uh, the phone's uh, IMEI, that's a little, you know, serial number that identifies it, uh, model, MAC address, nonce package name, as well as signature. If there is an updated app available on the server with the file name analytics.apk, it will automatically get downloaded and installed in the background without user interaction. Quote, I couldn't find any proof inside the analytics app itself, so I am guessing that a higher privileged Xiaomi app runs the installation in the background, Brunanik uh, says in his blog post. Now, uh, the question is, does your phone verify the correctness of the APK? And does it make sure that it is actually an analytics app? Brodnick found out there is no validation at all to check which APK is getting installed to to the user's phone, which means there is a way for hackers to exploit this loophole. This also means Xiaomi can remotely and silently install any application on your device just by renaming it to analytics.apk and hosting it on the server. And understand... That uh, Brainanik, Brainanik, I'll call him that. I apologize for, for mispronouncing your name. You know, I mean, he found this out on his own. So pretty much anybody could find this out on their own if they want. All right. Now, so this could be used as a backdoor, you know, to put in anything as long as, again, as long as it gets renamed to analytics.apk. Um, now, there is an official statement from Xiaomi, and this is the thing that wasn't there when I previously read the story, but a Xiaomi spokesperson uh, has reached out to the Hacker News with an official statement for the claims made by Baronanik about a backdoor that led hackers, as well as Xiaomi itself, to secretly install any application on the millions of affected devices, saying, quote, Analytics Core is built into the system component that is used by components for the purpose of data analysis to help improve user experience, uh, such as error analytics, end quote. Although the company did not deny or comment anything that its ability to automatically install any app on to your device in the background without your interaction, the spokesperson has clarified that hackers would not be able to exploit this quote-unquote self-upgrade feature. Ooh, <laughs> insidious. Uh, quote, as a security measure, uh, you know, it checks the signature of the analytics.apk app during installation or upgrade to ensure that only the APK with the official and correct signature uh, will be installed. So effectively, it does, well, like an MD5 hash, you know, a checksum hash or something that says that, that that's okay. Um I wonder how all that works out, how all that shapes up. And of course, Xiaomi is not going to reveal uh, a lot of that. So I, I, you know, you're, you're trusting Xiaomi in that matter. And in fact, I'm reminded of when I, I, th- I think it was Xiaomi that was one of the companies. It was, maybe it was Xiaomi and ZTE or no, it was Highway and ZTE. 
Okay, uh, Highway and ZTE were, if you remember, were warned by Vice President Joe Biden, you know, that bastion of intelligence. Um, he, <laughs> he, he came out and said that, you know, don't buy phones from these companies because they are, you know, in bed with the Chinese government and they could be spying on you and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure maybe Xiaomi just wasn't on his radar, but I'm sure he would have it would have gotten counted uh, in the number of ZTE and highway. How, you know, how how he feels about it. Sorry, it wasn't Xiaomi. I think that works with Google. It was um, I think I was confusing the fact that there's that a major Google an ex Googler is working for Xiaomi now. Uh, But it was highway that has worked with with Google on developing Nexus uh, smartphones. But anyway, you know, I'm sure they would be counted in that number, uh, you know, as potentially spying upon you you know, what the Chinese government is and all this. And like I've said in previous episodes of Sovereign Tech, there's really only three countries in the world. There's Russia, there's China, and then there's everybody else, which is effectively the United States or, you know, influenced by the United States. Like that, that's, that's kind of the, kind of the deal. And, you know, influenced negatively or positively, by the way. Um, This is a real problem. And if, I mean, could government actors take advantage of this sort of service? Absolutely. Uh, it doesn't just have to be some kind of, you know, malicious, you know, malicious hacker or cracker, as we like to call them on Sovereign Tech. OK, government agencies could take advantage of this and install anything. I mean, in this something similar has even happened to some degree. There was that big concern with it happening on iPhones as well. So this isn't only Android where this sort of thing can, uh, you know, can happen. Um, but these pre-installed apps are a huge fucking problem. This is a great reason, you know, to install, uh, you know, CyanogenMod. And and other systems like that, you know, other operating systems outside of I mean, this the problem here is that this works outside of even, you know, the Google Play Store, because the Google Play Store, like I've always said, is a, is a huge security risk because you're ultimately always answering to Google with what is on your phone, uh, etc. And Google, like we talked about last week, I think is absolutely an arm of the state. So you have a little bit of a problem there, but it gets a little worse. This week, uh, in response to the exploding Galaxy Note 7s from Samsung, which is, you know, all the rage as far as the story goes, um, which is a shame because historically, you know, the Galaxy Note series has been a phenomenal series of of smartphones, you know, in the in the average consumer sense. Um, But what has happened is now because some people aren't trading in their phones as Samsung has, you know, pretty much made it a mandatory recall. Um, Since some people are not trading in their phones, Samsung is sending an over-the-air update, an OTA update, to Galaxy Note 7s that won't allow you to fully charge your battery. And saying, you know, and it won't let you until you, you trade out the phone. In my opinion, like, that's 10 times worse than this story from Xiaomi. But it's all, it, it really is all related. Like, it, it's all part of the same, the same, you know, narrative, the, all, or not narrative, all part of the same point that that little block that you love, that block of sensors that you put in your pocket called a smartphone, you don't control that. You can't even guarantee, as to where the companies can, you can't even guarantee that you're going to be able to get a full day's battery life, quite frankly. I mean, this is effectively a forced OTA update. Now, I mean, you know, if you toss some other operating system on there, okay, you know, an alternative outside of Android or, you know, an Android-based alternative like CyanogenMod and others, uh, then, you know, maybe you can get around that. But that's a, even then, I don't know, because the very nature of most mobile devices is the ARM-based, you know, the ARM-based processor, the baseband, uh, you know, chip that, or the baseband firmware that can accept you know, any transmission that comes its way. So, you know, could 
Samsung still identify, you know, your device and and send you that update that won't let you charge your phone all the way, even if you put on CyanogenMod and all this? Maybe. I'd have to look into more, you know, on, on, on how all that, you know, how they do their, their OTAs and everything. Um, but this is a huge concern is that, you know, that, that device, you really don't have a whole lot of control over, be it the apps that are on it, that even if you delete them, well, Xiaomi will give them right back to you. You know, Verizon was doing the same shit. I mean, the telcos do this stuff too. Uh, this is, it's amazing. The smartphone might be the device that, you know, the electronic device in history that you have the absolute least control over. Uh, you know, what gets on it, what can get done on it. And, you know, I mean, it's bad. And like that Samsung story, it's funny. People are like, oh, well, this is good. This is forcing people, you know, really to trade in a very dangerous phone and all that stuff. And I agree. I mean, you know, the, what the battery situation with Samsung is, I mean, that is a huge fucking problem. Okay. But the solution sure as hell isn't like, you know, showing people that, well, guess what? We can just send, you know, we can send an OTA and we can do whatever we want with your phone. We can brick your phone instantly. We can do blah, blah, blah. And you think they can't identify? They're identifying the specific Galaxy Note 7s that have this battery problem. So can they go so far as to identify specific people, perhaps people that say the NSA or otherwise uh, deems, uh, you know, rather unsavory and can just kill their phone? And just brick it. I mean, the ability to brick that, that's something, you know, California Senate, they, we've talked about that story a million times where they said that has to be built into where, you know, the, the command can, can get sent to where the phone gets bricked and all this. But what else can get done? You have no control over this device. This story with Xiaomi, the story with the battery, uh, you, you know, uh, making it so that your battery can never fill up on a Samsung phone. Both of these prove that. Do not, do not depend your life. Especially if you're not, you know, following, say, some of the guidelines on darkandroid.info, okay, you know, for anonymity and privacy and all that and control. Do not bet your life on your smartphone for anything, especially if you're an activist, you know, or, you know, if, or if you're just someone that, uh, that perhaps certain groups would find unpopular. And nobody cares. People are just like, oh, good, they're doing something about the Note 7s. Oh, Xiaomi's just updating everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. The reviews are in, and Babylon 5's a winner. The New York Daily News says Babylon 5 could make Star Wars look like a walk in the park. The Chicago Sun-Times calls it a welcome addition to the sci-fi universe. Impressive, perfectly scaled for TV, raves the LA Times. And the Kansas City Star says Babylon 5 is one space station you're likely to want to visit frequently. See for yourself what everyone's talking about on Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history, Babylon 5. Adelaide, why are we stopping? In the future, uh, we have a custom. Uh, what's the custom? After a successful mission, a team usually is love. A menage a trois, or orgy. Yeah, there's there's only two of us. I already contacted the others to come join us. I love women, too. Whoa, Hadley, you're beautiful, but you're an android. I am fully functional. I am programmed in multiple techniques. A broad variety of... Mm. Mm. Uh. Uh. Mm. Wow, mm. I, I guess so. Mm. You did say you move fast. Mm-hmm. Oh. 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 
Adelaide. Mm -hmm. The future is going to be so good. time for the climax where I get to talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to put this out there right now. Um, I, before, I want to talk about a fun subject here. It has to do with Star Trek. And I didn't get to get into a lot of Star Trek last week, so I want to do it. I want to do it this week. Okay. And affiliates, I'll let you know right now, uh, this is going to go a little long. All right. I didn't want it to, but we needed to talk about Arcade City. And in, in addressing Arcade City, I want to make this super clear. I absolutely will not get bullied. I will not, I will not shut my mouth. I will talk about whatever the fuck I want to talk about. I am a big boy and I've seen a whole lot more shit than most people. And, and I don't mean to boast and I'm not boasting. I'm, I wish I never saw a lot of the shit I've seen. Okay. But I've seen a little too much shit in comparison to the rest of the world to want to, to want to care about like, Oh, you know, I can't believe you said this. You said this, I, you know, I mean, and we're going to sue you. Make me famous, baby. It's what I always say. Make me famous. I will not be bullied into what I'm going to talk about on this show. I call the shots here. So if someone wants to email me, go for it. See how far that'll get you. It's not a threat. I'm just saying it's not going to bother me. I'm not threatening with any kind of action. I'm just saying it's going to bounce off, baby. I don't care. I'll talk shit about whatever I want to talk shit about. And I will praise to the fucking heavens what I want to praise. And I do. Speaking of things I want to praise, I didn't get to get to this because I, I kind of cut down the, uh, the, the game talk segment. Um, Tecmo bowl, Tecmo super bowl, 2017. <laughs> this is a game. There's a link in the show notes. You can look under the game talk section that I want people to check out. This is tons and tons and tons of fun. Uh, <laughs> I mean, woo. Uh, it, it's the classic tech mobile game from, you know, the Nintendo entertainment system from the NES considered one of the greatest sports games of all time. And I can remember, I mean, I'm not a football guy. I mean, if I, you know, I like baseball and, you know, some more individualistic sports, um, but whatever, you know, people dig football, but even when I was a kid and I played this, I thought this was cool, you know, even though it was football. I mean, even like the Madden games were always great. You know, it's just it, it, it's a great game. You know, not it's not like out of some, you know, crazy love for football or something. Now, if you like football, go ahead. That's fine. Um, but this is an updated version with, you know, updated rosters and all this different stuff, even online play of the original Tecmo Bowl game from the 80s or maybe it was like 90. Maybe, I think it was 89. Anyway. You got to try this out. Links in the show notes. It's tons of fun. <laughs> it's it's still so good. So basic. Anybody can play it. But, you know, and, and there's a lot of luck involved when you're when you throw the ball. But, uh, but just just a ton of fun. So Tecmo Bowl uh, 27 or Tecmo Super Bowl 2017. Uh, go to the link in the show notes and you can play it in any NES emulator. And it works beautifully. You just download, uh, you know, the ROM file and away you go. Uh, so yeah, you know, no money. <laughs> I mean, you can donate to them, but you know, they, they do this incredible feat of adding, you know, online features to a Nintendo game, blah, 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 blah. Anyway. Um, so what I want to talk about actually is something that got shared to me by, by a few people on, on social media. Um, and they weren't, they were necessarily passing judgment, but they, they actually, you know, they'd asked me, they said, all right, Brian Sovereign, what's your thoughts on this? And so, and so I shared my thoughts on a lot of it. And what it is, it's actually, it's a YouTube video. Of course, Star Trek is celebrating its 50th anniversary and woo. 
anybody that's into tech and said that they, you know, that they don't like Star Trek, I, I question how much they're either into tech or for some reason they think they can't be open about their love of Star Trek. Uh, because, you know, most people I ask, you know, all the conferences I've been to and everything, anytime I've hosted something, you know, I love to ask the question, what got you into the space? What got you into tech and all this stuff? And usually people will almost instantly say Star Trek. Uh, so, you know, it's always worth discussion on a tech show, on any tech show, not just mine. Um, and really, Star Trek's worth talking about on any show, no matter what it is. But uh, but this this YouTube video that uh, right now it's at uh, 1.2 million views, uh, very, very popular, is uh, is an episode of Film Theory by the film theorists. They're they're also very popular. They have, you know, three, almost three. What is it? Three point three million subscribers. Uh, so they're they're very popular. I can't stand them. Like, I think that their their analysis of videos is just annoying as fuck. Like, it's made for people with ADD. Not that ADD is a, a real disorder, in my opinion. Um, but it's you know, it's really this like we need to grab you every 10 seconds. Otherwise, you're going to click away and all this stuff. And I, and I think that's that's just so insulting to anybody's intelligence. So uh, so I'm, I already have admittedly, I already have a problem with film theory itself. But the episode is called, and it's 15 minutes long. I'm not going to play it here. It's called Why the Star Trek Federation is Fascist. So, and a lot of people obviously wanted to ask me about this because obviously I'm well known for being a very serious Star Trek fan. I mean, I wear uniforms. I do all, you know, I do all the wacky shit. Uh, I might even role play, uh, you know, in some very interesting places and ooh, paint it green. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and so, you know, sort of the analysis that it brings up um, and there's another point I want to bring up that's outside of film theory as well. But what they really, you know, what they like to, to hit on is that it's it's sort of this like communist, uh, like they control everything, like they control all the methods of distribution of, of, you know, various wealth. Like, no, you never like their claims are you never see anybody own a starship. You like you never see personal people own a starship. It's always something from Starfleet. It's always something from the Federation. Um, you never see or, you know, then they go into the whole thing from Star Trek Two, where it says that the, the good of the many outweighs the needs of the few or the one. Um, you know, those are sort of their, their, their primary basis for the whole thing. Um, and, and, you know, and that they just the Federation is constantly imposing its will everywhere it goes. Now, to some degree, there's 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 a bit of truth to that. Like in many ways, the original series did kind of preach a certain colonization of Western ideals. OK, there there, there is something to that, I think. Uh, but Star Trek, and th this is this is kind of the main point about the idea of, you know, Starfleet or the Federation being fascist or anything. I, I admit that the Federation slash Starfleet, whatever, is this kind of quasi socialistic, you know, very odd government that likely wouldn't work much of anywhere. OK, <laughs> like not not in the way that it gets portrayed. OK, but it's important to bring up that Star Trek has had. Again, it's its 50th anniversary, 50 years of this. How many writers, how many producers, how many different people were involved in the creation of this universe that really you can you could pick and choose evidence from any movie or episode. And there's hundreds of episodes and there's plenty of movies to where you could come up with, you know, with almost any narrative that you want. I know people that like to say that Star Trek's libertarian. It's not. Not really. I mean, there's some libertarian, you know, comments that get made by like, you know, Captain Picard and some of the others, um, you know, but but it's real like the ideas. A lot of the there's there's ideas that are libertarian in it, but a lot of the, you know, the setup itself obviously isn't isn't uh, isn't libertarian. You know, the Federation is, seems to be very, you know, in many ways kind of centralized. You know, Starfleet certainly is. I mean, is it a military dictatorship of sorts? Eh, not exactly. But, you know, I understand why people say this sort of thing. 
Uh, but to say it's fascist. So I guess my point, the points I want to bring up in talking about it is that a lot of the points that they made for proof that it's a fascist system are wrong. You know, like they, they, there's obviously like, I think all they've ever watched was maybe some episodes of the next generation and maybe the movies because they didn't seem to pull from a lot of the other areas like, uh, take D space nine, for example, in D space nine, the whole show is about Bajor and the Federation wanting Bajor to join, but they don't push Bajor into joining the Federation at all. They give it all the time. Eventually it does. Sure. But they are happy for it to have autonomy. Okay, Uh, I mean, so, you know, that's not really fascist if you're not forcing the people to accept, you know, the Federation and uh, uh, Captain Sisko or Commander Sisko, depending on when you're watching the show. He's constantly like like trying to reassure the Bajorans that, no, I don't want you to change. You don't have to do anything. So, you know, it's it's like that didn't get included also in Deep Space Nine and Voyager and even the next generation and even the original series. There are plenty of cases where independent starships that have nothing to do with the Federation. They're not just old Federation models or anything, though. There's plenty of those that get used by, you know, quote unquote, private individuals, you know, people that aren't in Starfleet. Um, that You know, there's plenty of, of evidence of that. There's tons of those ships. I mean, I, I could I could almost go down the list. Uh, you know, of of the different classes uh, that allow for that. So that's that's not true at all either. And the main point that they really seem to hinge things on is that Star Trek statement of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the fewer the one. Well, if you listen to actually, if you if you're a Patreon subscriber, if you're a Sovereign Tech patron, I did an episode where I ranked all of the Star Trek movies and on that list. And I'll tell you what number two was. I'll give this away. Number two was Star Trek three. Why? Because Star Trek three is what Star Trek's really about. Okay. Where it's this display of, you know, incredible interaction, kind of this, this display of a voluntary family, this display of friendship, you know, this display of love, all these different things, this display of, you know, perhaps even some, some degree of logic and rationality and all this. Um, those are the beauties of Star Trek and, and of the technology, you know, that's really exciting too. Um, and, and some of the messages are great, you know, even though they don't always get played up like nonviolence, they keep talking about nonviolence, but they're always blowing shit up. But anyway, um, Star Trek three at the end of that Kirk corrects the Vulcans because that idea of, you know, the good of the many outweighs the needs of the fewer the one is the logical concept according to the Vulcans. Well, Kirk says at the end of Star Trek three, you know, Spock asks him, why did you save me? Why did you, why did you bring me back to light? Why did you do this? And Kirk says, because the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. I get chills just, just thinking about him saying that because you don't get that message in almost any other science fiction show. Maybe Stargate talks about something like that at times, you know, to where, you know, Colonel O'Neill would say, you know, I would save your ass. I'd fuck all the rules just because you're my friend. I'd save you. That is one of the best messages that you could put out on anything. And Star Trek three says that, and it debunks, in fact, I almost and, and I said this on that episode when I ranked all the Star Trek movies, I said it's like I almost think like Star Trek three gets gets shoved down and forgotten because they don't want people to hear that message because that is so rare to hear that the needs of the one the individualism, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. So that's horseshit. You know, that, that, that uh, I mean, and you could say, well, he was acting outside of the Federation, so the Federation is still fascist, um, but the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the one was a, you know, was just some Vulcan philosophy. It wasn't a Federation law or anything. So no, that's bullshit. 
So while while I don't think the Federation is a good model for governance or anything like that, um, no, it's not fascist uh, by any means. And you could say I'm biased because I'm a huge Star Trek fan and all that stuff. Look, the Federation isn't even my favorite group in the whole damn show. <laughs> OK, it's not. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, don't 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 give me that. Uh, but everything that this video said was just completely off base. Now, outside of that, uh, you know, and, and I mean, l- let's be clear, too, that I think they purposely left out a lot of this stuff so that people will talk about it, kind of like I'm doing now. It's a social it's a social media trick. It's a fucking marketing trick. And they got people talking about it again. This got one point two million views so far, and it's probably going to keep going up over the years. So it makes them look good. So they purposely say, you know, uh, uh, scandalous things or they pers- purposely say, you know, in uh, uh What's the word I'm looking for? Incendiary things. Uh, so whatever. The video's bullshit. Okay. Just, just it, you know, you can watch it. Give them a, give them an uptick, I guess. Nice try, but, but they're full of crap. And I just debunked all their major points. Uh, but another person came out and said something interesting, and that being Robert Boltron, which Robert Boltron played uh, Chakotay, the first officer aboard the USS Voyager in, the, in my favorite Star Trek series, which is Star Trek Voyager. Um, again, my favorite character is Captain Kirk, but my favorite Star Trek series overall, Star Trek Voyager. It's just it's the, the hardcore, the hard science fiction that it put on display was phenomenal, better than than any other any of the other Star Treks. Uh, not to say I like any. I mean, I love them all. I really even Enterprise I, I, I and the animated series, too. I love all of them. But Robert Baltron said that the prime directive is fascist crap that i think that's almost a direct quote he said it's fascist crap the the idea that you would see people suffering and because of your prime directive you wouldn't do anything about it um yeah the word fascist i i don't think it means what you think it means (laughs) uh I, actually, the word fascist, in fact, the video kind of goes into it. It's interesting. The word fascist means um, that, like, it's based off of the idea of a bunch of sticks tied together for greater strength, you know? So, like, because like, it comes from the word fascist or whatever. Uh, maybe I'm getting that wrong, but I, or maybe I'm getting the exact details wrong, but the, the gist is is accurate. Um, no, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think that we have absolute proof that actually interfering, considering looking at U.S. foreign policy, that when you interfere with, you know, cultures maybe that that still need to, you know, do the work to get to where, you know, they understand the well, to where they they go after freedom for themselves and all that. That when you interfere in those sorts of societies, you create more problems than not, including for the society you think you're saving. Uh so I don't Robert Baltron, I I I think you're off base uh, on that quite a bit. But anyway, you can tell me what you think about the Prime Directive if you want. And you can tell me what you think of Star Trek. Do you think it's it's fascist crap? You can send me the emails. Maybe I'll talk about it in a, in a future episode. Uh, but enough of that for this week. Uh, had, a, had a great time talking about all this. Carpe Lucem, everybody. And again, if you want to donate to the show, please become a Sovereign Tech patron. Or there is a Bitcoin address also at donate.zog.ninja. Uh, hey, I'll see you on the other side, baby. Woo! Good times are coming. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution.